Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com You just popped in Kanye West. Get right for the summer workout tape. Dr. Goldstein, what does this study tell us? What it tells us is that if you look across the world, there's consistent evidence that physical activity has the capacity to prevent the onset of depression. Not for everybody, uh, but disproportionately, higher activity leads to lower risk of depression. That's true across different continents, for men and for women, for old and young. And I think what's important to highlight from this study is that it was a combination of 49 prior studies with a total of over a quarter of a million participants. And so it's unlikely that it's by chance that we're observing this. Do we know why exercise offers this protection from depression? One of the interesting things about exercise is that it has a lot of effects. Biologically, it affects a number of systems in the brain and in the body. Psychologically, it leads to direct benefits in terms of uh, boosts in energy and uh, good feelings. And it also leaves us satisfied after the fact that we've done something good. And finally, it can influence the types of decisions we make about things we do in our life and the people we spend time with. And when you bring all of those things together, I think it explains why there's such a consistent benefit for exercise. Is it something that people can do once they are depressed? Absolutely. I think the main difference from the general population compared to people that have major depression is that for people with major depression, it's less likely that this will be sufficient to reduce their depression entirely. So generally speaking, people think about exercise as an add-on treatment in addition to a psychological or talking-based treatment or a medication. For people who are depressed, it can be hard to get started. Do you have suggestions? It's often hard, and I think some of the barriers are the symptoms themselves. Um, People have an experience of a sense of futility or they have low energy. But there's also outside barriers that can be modified, and one of those is expectations around what exercise has as its core purpose. 
And I try to influence people to reduce their emphasis on weight and weight loss and rather to look at exercise as something that's a long-term investment in health and something that has uh, near-term benefits on their emotional well-being. What would you recommend at an institutional level to get more Canadians moving? I think the responsibilities for increasing physical activity and exercise lie with uh, every Canadian or every person, really. And if you run an organization or CEO, then you have the opportunity to have benefits or to enable people to participate in more physical activity exercises during the workday. But there's also opportunities for people within work teams and as individuals to make decisions about how they spend time on their breaks. An example that I I discussed recently was having walking meetings. So if there's a meeting of four or or less people, oftentimes it doesn't have to be around a computer, and so people could choose to walk. They could take stairs when going to uh, different areas of their facility or their building. And when you add that up across the period of time of a year, for example, you're talking about a substantial difference compared to uh, purely sedentary decisions. How important is it for us to be talking about this? I think it's very important because it's one of those topics that um, there's been a couple of barriers to approaching exercise as medicine. And what I mean by that is if I told you I have this medication that I'm going to prescribe for you for your depression, the level of rigor that I would have to go through through Health Canada before I'm able to prescribe that to you is is, uh, really remarkable. But when you talk about exercise, it's less commonly been applied in the top quality, uh, double-blinded, randomized trials. And because of that, we don't really have as good knowledge about how to apply exercise as medicine. One of the benefits that could come from that type of uh, research would be to figure out things such as dosing or who benefits from what types of exercise and that sort of question. And so practical advice until we get that information, uh, what would you say to people? I'd say break it down into its component parts. Um, What do you like doing in terms of intensity? Do you like long intervals um, with with low or medium intensity? Do you find that sort of thing boring and would rather just go right at it and have a very intense interval of time? Both of these types of exercise are rather different, but they can contribute to increased physical fitness. And And there's no evidence to suggest that one is better than the other in terms of reducing depression. So I would try to focus on what works for people in terms of duration. The other thing is in terms of what brings them enjoyment. Some people might really like a spinning class at their local gym. Other people might find that really socially anxiety-provoking. Some people might really like the run on their own. Others find it boring. And so the question is for the individual, what do you like? What can you see yourself sustaining for, uh, for a long period of time? Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Van Dunn. No parent ever mentioned Van Dung to me. No teacher ever mentioned Van Dung to me. No religious leader has ever mentioned Van Dung to me. No one has, unless one recalls the voice of Malcolm X, the black nationalist leader of the movement 60s. Malcolm X, in his recorded speeches, speaks of how America's attack against black life and black rights led to a black revolution around the world. And I think to inspire black people and to convince them that they were not alone, Malcolm spoke of countries from Asia and Africa, newly independent countries, getting together to create a separate, non-aligned body. 
to serve the needs of these newly emergent nations and their peoples and cultural, economic, and technical affairs. What a surprise to hear of Van Dung again over 50 years later. In 1956, the black American expatriate, Richard Wright, publishes The Color Curtain, a deep examination of the Asian-African conference in Bandung, Indonesia. Here, we see Wright's allegiance to psychiatry and psychology as a way into one's hidden drives and unspoken motivations. In this adoption of the science of the mind, Wright seemingly dumps political analysis for psychic or psychological analysis, or the outside for the inside. Instead of analyzing classes, Wright looks to religion and race as keys to identity. And he saw the Bandung Conference as a convocation of the world's dispossessed peoples who turned from communism as well as capitalism to follow the road called non-alignment. When Wright first learned of the Bandung Conference, he was stunned by the sheer size of the populations to be represented there. China, India, Indonesia, Japan, Ethiopia, the Gold Coast, the Philippines, some 29 nations in all. He told his wife he had to go, and when she asked him why, he passed her the newspaper article. Upon reading it, she exclaimed, why, that's the human race. And so it was. But nations are nations, and they rarely yield the iron chains of sovereignty. Van Dung, a dream, rarely reached its enormous potential. Can it do so now, in this new century, threatened by rapacious capitalism under the guise of neo-colonialism? The West wants to chain the world's majority to its systems of repression and restriction. Can the world, the human race, raise again the banner of self-determination, liberation, and freedom? Can Van Dung give rise to a new world power based on the overwhelming majority of the world's people? Can Africa and Asia emerge as whole societies again? This we shall find out. Whether the dream of Malcolm and our dream can become a reality. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. D.C. is well known for its canine culture as dog parks take over the city and rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods. But one story from New York puts anything I've seen in Washington to absolute shame. According to the New York Post, a group known as the Dog Owners of Tribeca basically hijacked the public park for their own purposes and got away with it for an entire decade. These privileged scofflaws decided to start charging annual fees for membership and enforcing 22 whole rules that they had for the park. They even put a lock on the gate 
speed that you couldn't get access to unless your dues were up to date. The audacity of this maneuver is almost impossible to overstate. Dog owners tend to take themselves too seriously, we all know this, but to occupy an actual taxpayer-paid facility in order to make your own money from it and exercise power in some weird fiefdom is beyond ridiculous. They claim that the neglect from the city forced their hand to do this, but some members didn't even know the facility wasn't private. It all just proves once again, we don't deserve dogs. I'm Clinton Yates, and that's my take. The rulers. The rulers. Rulers of the world. Of the world. Uh, uh. Every hood. Every Stand up, stand up. Every street, Every street. Stand, up. stand up, stand up. And be accountable, be accountable. Yeah, come on, come on. Flashing on me, man, but the cameras can't see what I see, man, why I had to treat the haters like fleas, man, motherfuckers wanna talk about me, man, I check the ice and I brush off my sleeve, man, I'm too high up to have dirt on my shoulder, lyrics from heaven, church, thought I told you, Tasha told Kim that Lisa said, Mike said, Kale's doing drugs now, man, he a crackhead, y'all mean to tell me y'all believe that? The musician R. Kelly has been accused of sexual abuse, child pornography, even running a kind of sex cult. But he has still managed to stay one of the most popular R&B singers in the world. Now, the Time's Up movement is circulating an open letter asking the entertainment industry to stop doing business with R. Kelly. And it's generating a whole lot of support. For more, we've got Rodney Carmichael in our studios. He writes about hip-hop for NPR Music. Hey, Rodney. Hey, Rachel, how you doing? I'm doing well. So this is this has been a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah, the Me Too movement is helping to elevate this cause that, you know, people have been putting public pressure on R. Kelly for years about this. Yeah. Um, but last year, two black women in Atlanta, Kenyette Barnes and Oranike Odeleye, started an online campaign. They hashtagged it, Mute R. Kelly. Uh-huh. And they successfully got 10 R. Kelly concerts canceled in different cities across the country. Yeah. So, you know, now you have people like Tom Joyner who are joining, which is really big deal because he's a huge syndicated radio host. And he says he's not going to play R. Kelly's music anymore. Um, Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay. Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes. Quest Love. John Legend. um, All of these people are, are signing on in support of this letter. And really hoping to gain enough momentum to get R. Kelly's record label and streaming services like Spotify and Apple to stop supporting. Wow. So uh, has R. Kelly responded to any of this? Okay, so his lawyer put out a statement calling the campaign unjust and off target. He also calls it the attempted public lynching of a black man. And this is the same language that Bill Cosby's publicist used last week to describe his conviction. And obviously, you know, Clarence Thomas notoriously used same loaded language when he was faced with sexual harassment allegations from Anita Hill back right. in the What's day. What's that about? Well, it's, 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 it's not good. You know, it's, it's not the kind of metaphor that should be used in these circumstances. And it really comes at an odd time because just last week, you know, we had a new memorial dedicated in honor of real lynching vic- victims in this country. Right. Um, so it really kind of just muddies everything that, you know, these, these, these black people have died for and were persecuted for. 
I mean, it has to be said, R. Kelly's had a really complicated relationship with his audience, even with people who love him for yeah, a long time. It's been complicated for a long time. R. Kelly has been responsible for so many hits uh, over the last 25 years within R&B and pop. You cannot go to a black family reunion to this day. I know because I went to one last year without the DJ playing Step in the Name of Love. And it's it's really awkward, Um, you know, but there's also a lot of African-Americans who really detest R. Kelly and, and what they feel like he represents and are hopeful that the public sentiment might finally be starting to turn on him. Um, People are really concerned that his victims have been black women who are not rich or famous. And it feels like it's taken a lot more effort to get people to care about it and pay attention to it because of that. Right. Because the Me Too movement was so much. We saw so many like high profile white women. Exactly. Exactly. White abusers. And this is different. Yeah. I mean, it's also important to note that, you know, right now. This is still just a letter, as important as it is. Uh, He's gotten off in a court of law before. So in terms of justice, the supporters of this campaign are seeking, there might still be a long way to go. Rodney Carmichael, he writes about hip-hop for NPR Music. Hey, Rodney, thanks so much. Thank you, Rachel. Seattle's a great place to visit because it has... I guess you could say a little bit of everything, but I like to think of it as a lot of everything. The former foster son of Seattle's ex-mayor, Ed Murray, sued the city today. The suit filed by Jeff Simpson says Murray improperly used his position as mayor to defame him while battling the sex abuse scandal last year. KUOW's Patricia Murphy reports. Ed Murray resigned as mayor of Seattle in September. The lawsuit filed in King County Superior Court says Murray knowingly and recklessly slandered Simpson and other men who came forward to accuse the mayor of sexually abusing them. The suit says Murray and his husband repeatedly said the accusations were the work of right-wing anti-gay activists. It also says Murray called Simpson untrustworthy because of his criminal history. In December, the city agreed to pay accuser Delvin Heckard $150,000 to settle his claim of abuse. Heckard died of an accidental overdose in February. In a statement, the city attorney says the office had yet to review the complaint. Attorneys for Simpson and Murray did not immediately return calls for comment. I'm Patricia Murray. KUOW News. say that the incident is being investigated as a battery and hate crime case. Witnesses, and no doubt the victim, say that they found it very disturbing to hear this man repeatedly call the woman the N-word. We do want to warn you that the video is hard to watch. Get the out of here and let people move. Who the do you think you are? A violent confrontation in the Santa Monica College Performing Arts Center parking lot Tuesday night is caught on cell phone video. It starts out as a verbal altercation over a parking spot and then escalates into physical violence. We've had to bleep out several words because the man is repeatedly heard calling the woman racial slurs. And the two toss many four-letter words back and forth. 
College student Enrique Conde was on his way to music class when the confrontation broke out. And, and right away, here are these uh, racial slurs and expletives being, being, being shouted. Santa Monica College Police tell us the man in the video is 80-year-old Frederick Scheinrock of Los Angeles. He was there to attend an opera at the Broad Stage Theater. Both the theater crowd and music students have to share parking when there's a performance, and oftentimes there's not enough parking. They say Shinerock became upset with the woman for parking over the line. And when she was in the process of correcting that, Shinerock began lashing out at her. Enrique says the woman is a fellow music student. If someone is not parked very well, then, you know, that's one parking spot lost to another person, and that's how I believe it started. Police say they arrested Shinerock for battery on school property. The incident is being handled as a hate crime. Shinerock was cited and released and due in court in June. It was a deeply sad moment, I think, uh, for everybody who's out there. It was and police tell us that the woman was checked out by paramedics at the scene and is said to be doing all right. Now, as for Shinerock, I did speak with him tonight, but he refused to comment on the case. For now, reporting live here in Santa Monica, Mary Beth McDade will send it back to you guys in the studio. Why haven't you learned anything? New attendance schools, African-American display disrespected with racist graffiti. Boston 25 News reporter Drew Corradis is live in Wayland, where that display was just put up on Sunday. And Drew, the school is still trying to track down the people responsible. Yeah, Vanessa, administrators tell us they're focused focus on figuring out who scribbled this racist slur in three different places. They're also encouraging students and parents to express what their feelings about why this happened and what can be done to prevent it from happening again. It really, like, upset me, obviously. I think a lot of people that I know were surprised. Inside the walls of Wayland High School, students describe hurt following the hate etched in marker across a milestone of progress. People think Wayland is above this kind of thing and that prejudice and racial bias doesn't happen here when it's obviously not the case. A realization senior Savannah Selitsky believes others should recognize. The target of the racist remarks in her school, a timeline tunnel display depicting Wayland African American history set up just this past Sunday in celebration of its 50th anniversary of participation with METCO, a voluntary busing program that allows inner-city Boston students to attend school here. With some of the METCO students that I have talked to about it, they were less surprised. They're definitely sad and really angry, but they said this stuff goes unnoticed a lot. The administrators say it certainly is out in the open after the vandalism that happened on Tuesday morning. A student had written in, in marker uh, the N-word in a couple different places. This is not a community where hate speech is, is okay. The hate speech that found its way here, Superintendent Arthur Yunovsky tells us, was removed right away, but hasn't been erased from a conversation he hopes will continue. I think that there's a lot of eagerness on the part of staff and students to face this honestly and say that we're against it. And the superintendent telling us, unfortunately, there are no surveillance cameras in the hallway where this happened. He tells us 137 students take the bus here to Wayland daily through the METCO program. We're live in Wayland tonight. Drew Caritas, Boston 25 News. My mama was raised in the era when clean water was only served to the fairest skin. We begin right now at 6 with the story of three D.C. high school students who are reaching for the stars. But racial attacks almost stole their shine.
These three young women are finalists in a NASA contest, but when they started promoting this project on social media, the comments turned ugly. So new at six, Delia Gonsalves tells us about their project and why they're still smiling despite all the haters. Wait till you meet these girls. They were super impressive and they really make a great team. They want to help people through this project with something as basic and as necessary as water. And we're inspired by some of their own drinking fountains here at the school. We've had to have some of our water fountains being closed because of the lead issue. So we wanted to create a water filtration system that would purify impure water fountain and water fountains in public schools. So Miss Marissa, our coach from IN3, she introduced us to the project around November and we were all interested because we all want to focus on STEM. African American young girls and women of color are underrepresented in this industry. So we wanted to, you know, really focus on making sure that we, you know, promote ourselves and show other young girls that you can do it. So Michaela's one tweet was retweeted more than 2,000 times, and that's when the haters showed up and the racial attacks began. People said you were soliciting mm -hmm. for votes for nominations because simply that you were three African-American women. Was that true at all? Um, no. Um, were they hurtful statements? Um, we just decided to just, like, you know, not worry about that and just remain positive and just keep smiles on our faces because everything about this is a great experience. So what's the bigger picture here for you? Um, our goal is to get to NASA hopefully and just do more collaborations with them and hopefully we will be able to implement our project into public schools in DC and hopefully it will just spread around the world and we will help thousands of people get clean water. And they just might be one step closer to some of those goals now with a grant from the mayor for four thousand dollars. Delia Gonsalves, WUSA 9. Those three young ladies are role models. Should have them over to my house, tutor my girls. NASA stopped the online voting process because the system was tampered with as a result of all the negative feedback. The winners of the contest will be announced in the coming weeks. The, the first thing we're going to do to, I think, stop racism is stop focusing on racism. Stop focusing on racism. There are allegations being made over the firing of the coach, who is also a history teacher, and they include issues about race. Good evening, everyone. I'm Yuki Washington. I'm Jessica Dean. Eyewitness News reporter Alicia Nieves is live outside Camden Catholic High School in Cherry Hill with more. Alicia. Well, Yuki and Jess, we have been told by the Diocese of Camden that it is looking into allegations that this coach's firing may have been racially motivated. Not by his race. He is a white man, but by the race of some of his players. Controversy at this Catholic high school in South Jersey after the school's head football coach has just been fired. I don't care what they do. I come out here to make a statement for my coach. Players and parents protested today in light of the firing and in light of allegations that the school's administration may have fired coach Nick Strom over the number of minority players on his team. You need to open your mind up to different things. Uh, it could be even your prejudice issues. It may not be all of you, but you need to open your mind up to all the kids that are here, whether it be white, black, any ethnicity that you are, it's just we want to be one community. Camden Catholic High School issued a statement to us today denying the allegations, calling them, quote, baseless. And we did receive a copy of the letter the school issued to the coach for his, quote, non-renewal. It cites issues like a professional dress code violation, wearing sneakers instead of dress shoes, and confronting another teacher in front of students. I think this is all to cover up the fact that they can't say what, they, what, what really the problem is. 
Tyrone Belford is the former high school football coach of coach Nick Strom, and he's a mentor to him as well. He says the accusations against the school's administration are not baseless, that coach Strom has confided in him several times over the past year. In one of our conversations, he says it seems the administration is uh, kind of pushing me you know, and, uh, about the number of minority students I have coming in here. And, um, and he talked to me about several instances where he thought that the, where some minority students were disciplined and they were, they were uh, expelled or let go from the school. And, and, and in one occasion, there was a white student who did something he wasn't. And he, you know, but that's an so administration. He has serious concerns. And we spoke to several family members of Nick Strom who say they met with the coach after the protest here earlier today. And they say right now the coach is not really concerned about his career. In the end, he feels he's going to be okay. He is worried about the future of minority students at this school. Live in Cherry Hill, Alicia Nieves, CBS 3 Eyewitness News. All right, Alicia, thank you. Kimberly Minkle has raised five boys, but she's never had to deal with anything like this. She's keeping her son Isaiah home from school indefinitely after an incident on Monday. I'm keeping him home because I feel it's unsafe for him to go back to school. Isaiah says he was in class at Cascade Middle School when another student stabbed him in the arm six times with a pen. Here and then here. Going through a sweatshirt, breaking the skin, and drawing blood. As a mother, to watch this, it's heartbreaking. Because I just feel scared. I just feel like he's going to threaten me again. Isaiah is on the autism spectrum. He's quiet, shy, and has a hard time expressing himself. He says this all started when the two boys were joking around, but things grew ugly when he was called the N-word and others joined in. I felt uncomfortable every time they would say it. Yeah. And then the stabbing happened. Yeah, and the stabbing happened. And then more racial slurs after. Yeah. So this isn't just a one-time thing. Um, the doctor actually was quite shocked. Isaiah was seen by a doctor, and his mom does plan to press charges. She says the boy who assaulted Isaiah is still in school, and administrators have advised both boys to go through racial sensitivity counseling. But Kimberly doesn't think that goes far enough, given the racial tensions in this country and violence in our schools. She's not letting her son return to school until she's convinced he's safe. It starts with a pen one day, it goes to a knife the next day, and then someone brings a gun to school and we have a school shooting. In Cedro Woolley, Eric Wilkinson, King 5 News. Cedro Woolley, superintendent of schools, says the department is taking this situation seriously and will work with the family toward a solution. Meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA. They try and lock people up. They try and make new slaves. See, that's their probably on prison. Get your peace today. DNA testing kits like 23andMe it turns out are more like 23andMe and you and police officers <laughs> and members of the intelligence community. News that the Golden State killer suspect was caught by using a genealogy website is thrilling law enforcement officials and alarming privacy advocates who are, are realizing that people who submit DNA for testing are unwittingly becoming genetic informants. Joining us to talk about this, Ronnie Jackson is stepping down as Trump's physician and other medical headlines, Art Kaplan, Arts and Doctors William F. and Virginia Connolly, Mitty Chair and the Director of the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU's Langone Medical Center. He's also the co-host of the Everyday Ethics Podcast. Hey there, Art Kaplan. Hello, hello. And hello, hello. So, Art, would you, I, I don't know if you're with me on this. I am going to propose that the Golden State Killer's name be changed to the Cambridge Analytica Killer. Do you think that would be appropriate? So, 
First, I, I, you know, one, I'm obsessed. Emily Rooney and I, I don't know if Marjorie are obsessed with this case, number one. Number two, when I read this DNA stuff, which you're going to describe to us, to say it gave me the creeps, the good news, of course, is it helped them find this killer and rapist mm-hmm. from decades ago. The bad news is, well, pretty obvious. Why don't you fill us in? So there is, uh, there are a lot of folks who've sent off their DNA. This is the sort of spit in a cup and send it off to a company, find out whether you're Lithuanian or some companies say they can get you a match, the date based on your uh, DNA. Uh, pause here for hilarious laughter. Um, others want to uh, match up your diet to your DNA. Mm, continued laughter. I don't think any of that works either. I'm not even sure the ancestry stuff is all that accurate, but let's put that on the side. What companies are doing is they're hooking you into a fun recreational thing, send us your DNA, and then they put all the uh, DNA information from different people in a big database, and they keep it. They don't get rid of it, and then they often resell it to third parties. But they have the big database sitting there, and in this instance, one of the databases was searched by the cops because they had DNA from the crime site on this Golden State Killer, which was way back in the 70s, I guess. <clears throat> and 70s, so they 90s, began yeah. to, yeah. So they looked at that DNA, and then they began to search. I don't know why they picked this particular one, but they went there, and they didn't have a warrant, and they didn't get it reviewed by a judge or anything like that. They just started fishing around in the database, looking for people who might match, and they kept slowly finding more and more matches. <clears throat> ultimately, narrowed it down to sort of a person near Sacramento, California, which is where a lot of these crimes took place. Now, all of them. And then they said, you know, we got a suspect, and let's hang around his house, and when he throws out a coffee cup Mm -hmm. or a Kleenex or something, we'll grab some of his DNA, which they did. Just a reminder that your DNA is pretty easy to get because it's slathered over a lot of things that we touch or drink from and that sort of thing. And lo and behold, they get a match, and lo and behold, that led them to then uh, go and arrest this guy, and he appears to be the guy. So... It was a big search of a database where a lot of people have unthinkingly sent their uh, DNA off, you know, kind of, I wonder if I'm Estonian. Well, well how upset? I mean, there are no, two sides of the on. story. They yeah. wouldn't have found the guy had it Jim, not been Jim, for this. if you don't want, you know, people to be using your DNA, you don't ship it off to some company and you have no idea what they're going to do with it. Well, if you don't want Donald Trump to be using the data that you put on Facebook, then don't go on Facebook. Exactly. No, it's not exactly. You should have a certain right to protect your own information. I I think it's crazy. We put all this stuff out in the internet and then we're surprised when somebody finds it and uses it. I mean, I think we have to face reality. by the way, just to make the link between Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff, um, why should we be surprised? It's the business model. Yeah, they resell the data. Yeah. <laughs> they do. There's a little tiny type thing that says, hey, glad to have you on Facebook. And by the way, we'll do whatever we want with your data. See ya. You know, I mean, it's buried in there, but it's there. So wait, wait. Um, so if I had, let's assume I used 23andMe and uh, WGBH decided when I'm renewing my health insurance that they wanted to buy the database. Could, could they could they legally? Uh, by the way, they wouldn't. But could they They'd legally? Find the t- Two hundred seventy-seven MRIs and say, <laughs> "Huh, maybe this guy first, has first an of issue." All, they, they, 
<laughs> First of all, they wouldn't exactly. They don't need to do that because they can find you prone in any particular diagnostic clinic uh, anywhere in the greater. Well, that may be Boston true. It area. may not be. Yeah. So I'm serious. Could they get access to my stuff? Yes. And oh <laughs> what uh, the database is, is it's, they say, the company says, 23andMe or whoever says, look, we de-identify that data. It's, <clears throat> they still, somebody may want to buy it, but it doesn't say your name or it doesn't connect to you. But the problem is you can reverse engineer. If I have the database and I bought it and then I start to correlate it like the cops did with other things that I know I may have records on, say, your credit card use, or I may have records on your cell phone, whereabouts, and so on, I can then usually figure out who's who. It may take me a while, and it takes a little science, but it can be done. So that's the problem. Even if they say we're selling it anonymously, yeah. So here's the other thing. Some people say, well, why don't we put more notice on the uh, DNA things and say, you know, we resell this, and it could be accessed by the DA and the Massachusetts State Police and um, the intelligence services and ICE and who knows. You could do it, but what I think would be better, make more sense, is to say no one can go in those databases without what we did see with Donald Trump and his now-admitted lawyer Michael Cohen in the Stormy Daniels affair. Remember, they raided Michael Cohen's uh, Mm -hmm. apartment or hotel room? Hotel room room and apartment and office, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they yanked up his records. But what did they have to do to get in there? They needed to go to a federal judge, get a warrant, and then mm. there's a special master who sits around and makes sure that what they're looking at is Not protected by attorney-client that privilege. Be, right? That's what you need in the database thing. You need a legal process to get in there. I'm not against finding killers, in fact, with DNA analysis. That's great. Go tell a judge and then have somebody sit there and make sure that what they're looking at um, doesn't violate any individual's rights. We don't have a procedure. That's what's missing here. Could you talk faster? Because i got to get out of here and cancel my doctor's appointments for the rest of this week. <laughs> We're talking to our... We have to go back to being loveites, Jim. I think and wipe the those microphones go. down, you two. Wipe those <laughs> microphones. There's DNA all over those. I he... said, sorry, yeah, honey, if I was too arrogant, that money was staggering. They let me PC with them trainings and rents. Man, that shit was embarrassing. 23 hours of cell by myself. Man, you couldn't imagine it. They fed me some shit I won't feed to my dog. Man, that shit was the nastiest. Can you imagine me losing my mind? Throwing push-ups 52 at a time. Do the whole deck just to get through the time, just to get to my son and get back to my mom. Because Poppy keep asking me, where am I at? I told him in jail, and I said I'd be back. He said, when you back, can you get me from school? Shit like that there turned boy. Yeah, what do you guys make of uh, who's the kid who just got out of prison? Um... And they've been flying them all around. Oh, Meek Mill. Meek Mill. Meek Mill. I mean, and even Robert Kraft, I mean, I don't get this. You know, now, <laughs> you're, not, you're not alone. This guy, they're embracing this guy, Robert Kraft. I mean, same guy as Boycott, you know, Blackball and Colin Kaepernick. These guys are like, you know, covering up to, I, I, you know. I think it's, I think it's Kaepernick guilt, especially from, from Kraft. I mean, you, you're dealing with. You know, you're, you're one of the guys that will refuse to sign Kaepernick. When people mention his name in these meetings, as we saw, you, you just go silent. You act like you didn't hear uh, what Eric Reed had to say. Eric Reed went in there, by the way, wearing a Kaepernick T-shirt over his shirt and tie. Okay, so he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't playing, right? Right. So, but right. You know, obviously they were. You know, so there's you can as 
Otis said earlier, that, that's probably, you know why he's not playing. Well, yeah. Why they're not signing him. Right. They saw that T-shirt. They were like, oh, hell. Yeah, they're looking at each other like, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Okay, we know it's too. Right. Bob Kraft actually went to visit Meek, Meek Mill, Mill in yeah. prison and said, and I quote, amazing young man. I know how I'd feel if I was in the situation he's in. He is. And then he said, every time, quote, every time I see him, I just come away more impressed. He's very intelligent. It makes it clear to me that we have to do something with criminal justice reform, end quote. That's Bob Kraft's statement. However, signing Colin Kaepernick, nothing was said in that room with players and owners. And don't get me wrong. Meek Mill, I'm glad he's out. Right. No question about it. He, you know, the system. It was he was one of those guys who was done wrong by the system. Uh, he was he he had an he, he had a gun charge when he was nineteen. Mm-hmm. Got probation for ten years, so they keep you in the system. He's now thirty, and now he's you know he he, he commits a small crime, and they and they try to put him back in there for a number of years. Right. But there's you know, but uh, but there's a hashtag out. The hashtag used to be free meek, and now there's a hashtag free them all. So I'm you know, free them all. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it's not just about meek mill. There's so many more guys yeah. that go through stuff like this, and like you said, it's just funny to see these these rich white owners, you know, you know, gather, you know, crowd around Meek Mill and act like you know they're, tr- they're trying to help somebody out. Um, when flying them to all the games, right? You know, flying, pick them up. It was like a movie. It was like you know, flying like to a, the, the it was like Sixers a mob, game. It was like or a something? mob movie or something. Yeah. Like they pick them up from jail and fly them <laughs> to the game. You sit, you sit in front row. Yeah, like you know, are you serious? Meek Mill has and, meanwhile, and meanwhile, Kaepernick can't get a can't get a tryout. So Stephen Clark, as you may remember, was fatally shot and killed by Sacramento police officers, and. Even though he was not armed, there are some conflicting um, videos and evidence that suggests that this may have been unnecessary uh, for other reasons as well. Now, there are contradicting reports on how many shots Stephen Clark uh, was hit with, as well as where those shots entered his body. Now, the Sacramento coroner's report states that Clark was hit three times in the back and seven times total, but the Clark family actually hired an independent investigator who states that the total number of shots was actually eight, and six of those shots were fired on his back. Um, Now, this is important because the difference in opinion here has a lot to bear on any future case, and the Clark family is expected to file a civil suit. Now, I want you to take a look at some of the graphics here to illustrate where the shots may have been. Now, it's hard to tell from this, but one of the things that has happened more recently is that the private investigator released a photograph. We won't release the photograph due to its graphic nature, but he stated this of the photo. Experts may have different opinions, but a picture is a picture. A picture does not have an opinion. Yeah, they're saying essentially, look, I don't care what uh, these bought and paid for uh, coroners are saying Mm -hmm. who are trying to support a certain narrative. In this case, the argument goes, right, that it's supporting a law enforcement narrative. So that would mean that most of the shots are in the front, right? The more shots that are in the back, the more law enforcement is on thin ice. It's like, why did you shoot a guy who's running away from you? Right. Uh, in other words, there's no threat to you if he's running away from you, is the thinking. So in essence, that's why that, uh, the, the private investigator uh, released those, those photos, that, that they're damning. Um, the cops, 
uh, keep the narrative going of, about how there's a threat to their lives. And that's really and, and, and really that's what's underpinning the whole law enforcement story. Well, it's what should tell you a lot is the way that the police uh, story continues to change consistently. So that's always the question, which is whose story is remaining consistent and whose story changes. And we've already seen this multiple times, the, the fact that the police have um, in, in different cities, like most recently in Brooklyn, has been, have been charged with lying about finding a gun in an apartment. And then last year, there's a whole series of investigations around cops planting fake evidence in traffic stops that were caught on tape. So this is not too inconsistent with how law enforcement has treated mostly black folks. Um, and it should be said that Dr. Bennett Amalu, and we've talked about this before um, concerning the Steph Stephon Clark case, comes from very reputable background, <laughs> a very reputable background. He was uh, the pathologist who was able to identify the brain injuries that led to uh, the brain injuries in NFL players that led to a huge investigation and even a big Hollywood film around this topic. So his story has stayed the same. And I, I hope that the press isn't won over with the consistently morphing story of uh, the police department. And, you know, the, uh, Malu said some really interesting things, which was that the coroners did not take the spinal cord out, which would have been necessary. It would have been tricky, but it would have been necessary to really assess the damages to the body. And the fact that when he flipped over the body, he also saw the shots to the back, which, again, they could have missed in their first account as well. So, you know, I, I kind of trust the guy who has <laughs> a long background in history in this work and also who, I mean, yes, he was hired as a private investigator, I mean, as, as a, a, pri a private um, uh, autopsy, um, a pathologist. private pathologist. But, you know, um, he really has a lot more credibility than than... The police department. Yeah, I, I think in this particular case, too, and in many cases, what is unfortunate is that the coroner's office will typically perform an autopsy, and in performing that autopsy and gathering evidence, body parts are removed, um, things are changed, holes are poked into the body. Like, it, it, is, it becomes something that it wasn't in its original form after the incident. And when we have private investigators and pathologists, scientists, taking a look at bodies... The, during the second round, it can lead to a lot of discrepancies and perhaps errors. Um, so that makes it a bit complicated. I think that that's something that will definitely be discussed more. Um, but I think you're right that the narrative here is what's important. And regardless of whether it was three shots or six shots in the back, I think when we look at the footage, it's clear that some of this violence may have been completely unnecessary. And the the DA there has uh, a lot of questions about her reluctance to bring forth a prosecution. She has a lot of law enforcement money at, yeah. flowing into her campaign. And so that is something that uh, Anne-Marie Schubert's her name. She's uh, a, a friend of law enforcement and so reluctant to bring any charges is the argument against these law enforcement officers. And that argument's backed up with a lot of evidence of law enforcement flow, uh, monies flowing into her, her campaign. So uh, there is more than just uh, some confusion about this. It would appear that there is money affecting this entire narrative as well. I say, fuck the police. A scandal in California's Central Valley could change how officials investigate sudden, suspicious, or violent deaths. 
In 49 out of 58 counties, that job falls to a coroner who is also an elected sheriff. Critics say that's an inherent conflict of interest, especially when someone dies at the hands of law enforcement. Julie Small of member station KQED and NPR's criminal justice team reports. San Joaquin County landed in the national spotlight recently when its chief forensic pathologist quit. Dr. Bennett Omalu, renowned for his expertise on concussions, accused the sheriff coroner there of pressuring him to change autopsy findings in cases involving officers of the law. He said to me, my opinion does not matter to him and does not mean anything in his office and that I must do what he orders me to do. He's talking about Sheriff Coroner Steve Moore. Moore denies he did anything wrong. Legally, he says, he has the final say on any death investigation. They believe I did what I was supposed to do under the law, okay? Both that and my interpretation as far as what my duty is as the coroner. In California, those duties are pretty clear. Even if a forensic pathologist says someone was beaten to death, say, a homicide, the sheriff coroner can call it an accident. And that's where the conflict is for the counties with this kind of system. Take the case of 47-year-old Daniel Lee Humphreys. In 2008, Humphreys crashed his motorcycle in the city of Stockton when he was being chased by California Highway Patrol for speeding. As he got up, the CHP officer shot him with a taser 31 times. Humphreys collapsed and later died. It was preventable, and it was so excessive, and then for nothing to be done... That's Barbara Stewart, Humphrey's ex-wife. She used to work for the sheriff. She says the sheriff's department withheld evidence of the taser use. Without that information, Humphrey's death was ruled an accident. The taser report only surfaced when Stewart and her two daughters sued the state for wrongful death. The family settled for a million dollars. She regrets that. Money doesn't replace a person. It doesn't fix the wrong. A recent audit of the San Joaquin County Coroner's Office found at least four deaths in 2016 that involved law enforcement where the sheriff overruled the findings of county pathologists. Randy Hanslick, a retired forensic expert, has studied the sheriff coroner system. He knows of just a handful of states and cities that combine the two offices, mostly to save money. I think the downside, basically, is either a perceived or a a real uh, conflict in the goals of of the two Entities. And that's the crux of the debate, whether a sheriff can be trusted to fairly investigate officer-involved deaths. Hanslick says nationally there's still a reluctance to call those deaths homicides, but people shouldn't be afraid of that term because it can lead to the truth about what happened. If we just call these accidents and ignore any intent or volitional acts, there may not be as thorough investigation as there might have otherwise been into the circumstances of that death. This isn't the first time a California sheriff has been accused of abusing power in death investigations, but the controversy in San Joaquin County has prompted state lawmakers to introduce a bill to bring changes. It would require some counties to replace the coroner with a medical examiner, similar to the setup in San Diego and San Francisco. In those places, a physician certified in forensic pathology investigates deaths independent of law enforcement. San Joaquin County officials took it upon themselves to go ahead and make the change. In a stunning rebuke, supervisors voted unanimously to strip the sheriff of his coroner duties and install a medical examiner within a year. For NPR News, I'm Julie Small in Stockton, California. There have been developments in the case uh, against the man, one of the people who assaulted 
uh, a black man during the Charlottesville uh, Unite the Right rally. You probably have seen the video uh, of what happened in that parking structure. There is a new development. Jacob Scott Goodwin, a 23-year-old from Arkansas, was found guilty of malicious wounding. Uh, of a malicious wounding charge, the jury of three men and nine women recommended 10 years imprisonment with the option of a suspended sentence along with a $20,000 fine and re rehabilitation plan for Goodwin. Uh, his sentence will be set by a judge on a August 23rd. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, here's a tweet from that moment. Um, this is the image that really was indelible. There are multiple people who were assaulting him. The man's name is DeAndre Harris. He's 20 years old, uh, former special ed teacher who was at the event um, and got caught up in all the things. And uh, yeah, the, one of the men who, who beat him up is going to go to jail. What do you guys think? Good. Uh, it's not any more nuanced than right, that. Right, exactly. Like, what else do you say to this? Good. Um, you know, I don't... He, it was premeditated. He showed up to the, to the protest fully guarded, right. ready to do battle. So it wasn't like he was caught off guard, that he was, you know, taken by surprise. This person came to do business of harm to other people there. So, again, I can't be any more nuanced than good. You know, that's the, the, the screwing you did, the screwing you get for the screwing you did. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, it, it, you're exactly right. He's in militia gear, and he was ready to ride, and that's, uh, that was a good night out for him. You know, yeah. he got his shot, and it was, uh, it, it's, it's, it's nauseating, you know. Right. So, yeah, that the justice system was able to come to some kind of moderately satisfying conclusion on this. Right. I mean, you wish it wouldn't happen. That's why I'm being halting about it, because, like, why are we even, why did this thing happen? But, is it, yeah, is it weird that I'm thinking... I see so many incidents of violence um, where the person doesn't even get charges. Yes, a lot of the times it's police officers, but like nothing ends up happening. Now you're actually seeing some justice get done, period. It's you're seeing it because there's video of it. I think if this had not had video accompanying it, you wouldn't see justice done. Right. We have uh, we don't have a graphic for this, but I did pull a quote from a Washington Post article about the the actual process of of justice getting meted out. They said the jury watched multiple videos of the attack from different vantage points, showing Goodwin hitting Harris with a shield and kicking him while he was on the ground. Other men join in, hitting Harris with a board uh, and a large pole. When Harris managed to get up, they yelled obscenities at him, telling him get out. And when you watch the video, I just remember seeing like there are so many people around here who aren't participating, but there were like like four or five other cameras in every shot you see. People getting up there and you're thinking like if there's no if there's no justice wrought out as a result of this, like where are we going to find it? So sure. I'm glad it happened. There is more the other people who uh were involved in the beating uh, it has been reported a trial for another man charged in the Harris attack. Alex Michael Ramos of Georgia is set to begin Wednesday. The trial for the other two, Tyler Watkins Davis and of uh, Florida and Daniel Borden of Ohio, will begin this summer. By the way, um, DeAndre Harris was actually arrested. The guy who was beaten mm -hmm. was himself actually arrested and you know put through the legal process for after being arrested. He was kind of the trial. He was acquitted. Already, so the 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 process of justice continues for the other people, but his has already been opened and shut very quickly. And it, I mean, this was one of those things where they didn't know who it was; they just had the videos. And it took from August when this when this went down to October for a warrant to be issued for the arrest of the individuals involved. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. 
Now be heard. Yes, sir. Hey, peace, Gus. Uh, can I please uh, do uh, five, ten seconds of silence for the brothers in Oklahoma City that was murdered and and upon? Can I do five seconds for them, brothers, and just in in, in memory of them? Are new and disturbing details about what happened to two more murder victims after they were shot and killed. Court documents reveal their bodies were dismembered at an Oklahoma City property. News 9's Christy Lewis spoke with family today. She's live on the story at the Oklahoma County Courthouse tonight. Christy? Kelly, the search warrants filed here show the long list of items police found at that property, including multiple kinds of saws and cleaning supplies. <laughs> For the last two weeks, two families have been hurting. Alizé was loved, very much so. Along with those close to 21-year-old Alizé Smith and 21-year-old Jerron Moreland, court documents say they were shot and killed in a van outside of this crest at 12th and Eastern in Moore on April 14th. According to an affidavit, 16-year-old Brett Botler pulled the trigger and his brother, Kevin Garcia Botler, sped out of the parking lot to this OKC property where Johnny Barker helped sink the bodies in a pond. When police located them days later, it was found the bodies had been dismembered. I will not get to see my only son ever again. Not only was he taken, I cannot even bury him the proper way. Alizé's mother has her own thoughts about the motive. A hate crime and awful and those those people are murderers. District Attorney Greg Mashburn says his office looked into the possibility of this being a hate crime. And he says the investigation showed the victims of the homicide were attempting to rob the suspects when the shooting occurred. Therefore, it was determined that the motive was not race-related. Meantime, both Bottlers are behind bars, along with Barker, also facing charges connected to the case. They absolutely do not have the right to walk outside of those bars ever and they they, they will burn in hell for what they done now the cleveland county da has also filed a charge against the suspect's mother in connection to this case live on the scene on the story christy lewis new Well, we spend the rest of the hour looking at the life and legacy of the founder of black liberation theology, Reverend Dr. James Cone. Starting in the 1960s, he argued for racial justice and interpreted the Christian gospel from the experience of the oppressed. He said he was inspired by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who gave black theology its Christian identity, and Malcolm X, who gave black theology its black identity. And Dr. Cohn died Saturday at the age of 81. This, this is part of an address he gave in 1971 at the University of Richmond. There can be no reconciliation with masters as long as they are masters. No reconciliation as long as men are in prison. There can be no communication between the masters and the slaves until masters no longer exist as masters, are no longer present as masters. The Christian task is to rebel against all masters. 
destroying their pretensions to authority and ridiculing the symbols of power. However, it must be remembered that oppressors never take kindly to those who question their authority. They do not like thugs and bums, people who disregard their power, and they will try to silence them any way they can. But if we believe that our humanity transcends them and is not dependent upon their goodwill, then we can fight against them, even though it may mean death. That was Dr. James Cohn speaking in 1971, and correction, he died at the age of 79. His groundbreaking books include Black Theology and Black Power, published in 1969, A Black Theology of Liberation, published in 1970, Martin and Malcolm and America, A Dream or a Nightmare, uh, and The God of the Oppressed. Uh, and as well as The Cross and the Lynching Tree, which he published in 2011. He had also just completed a forthcoming memoir titled, Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody. This is Dr. James Cohn speaking at Union Theological Seminary in 2016. If I were going to write an authentic black liberation theology, I had to let the suffering of black people speak in and through my theology. My theology came out of the black experience of slavery, segregation, and lynching, and not from white American and European theologies that I studied in graduate school. Black liberation theology emerged out of the civil rights and black power movements symbolized in the life and work of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Dr. Cohn joined the faculty of Union Theological Seminary here in New York in 1969. He was at the seminary. He was at Union Theological for a half a century. He was named the Bill and Judith Moyers Distinguished Professor of Systematic Theology in 2017. Through his work and in the classroom, he inspired generations of scholars, professors, pastors, and activists to work to dismantle white supremacy and help give birth to the womanist theology and other liberation theologies. Professor Cornel West called him the greatest liberation theologian to emerge in the American empire, and he never sold out, West said. One of Dr. Cohn's students made national headlines during the 2008 presidential election when then Barack Obama's pastor, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright, made controversial comments on race and other issues. Well, for more, we're joined by three guests. Here in New York, the Reverend Dr. Serene Jones is with us, president of Union Theological Seminary, as well as Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, dean of the Episcopal Divinity School and professor at Union Theological Seminary, a former student of Dr. Cohn. And in Atlanta, Georgia, we're joined by another former student, Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, who serves as senior pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church there, which was the spiritual home of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, Professor Warnock, Dr. Warnock is also the chair of the New Georgia Project, author of The Divided Mind of the Black Church, Theology, Piety, and Public Witness, and on the board of Union Theological Seminary. We all welcome you all to Democracy Now!, our condolences. Um, I wanted to begin with the Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. 
You work so closely with uh, Dr. Cohn um, at Union Theological. You're his student. It's hard to even talk about him in the past tense. Yes, that's right. Talk about his legacy, what he meant to you, and what he meant to this country. Yes, I think that his legacy is very hard to really quantify because it will be a very long legacy that will cross generations because Dr. Cohn always said that he didn't want disciples. He didn't want students who would come and simply imitate his work and uh, uh, simply carry on the uh, paradigms that he created. He urged us always to find our own voice. And he wanted us to bring our own perspectives, not simply to our understanding of God, but to our understanding of the complexity of injustice so that we could understand more God, the meaning of God's justice and the work that we had to do. So he wanted committed students. And so he opened the space for us to indeed find our own theological voice. He wanted students who were committed to the work of justice, which is 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 God's work he always understood that and gave us a place first of all to study uh, at a time where we would not be able to find many places to do our work and to do our theology and to do the theology that meant something to us uh, as we were there as I said he encouraged us to critique his work and to move beyond it. And so he opened the space for the emergence of new theologies, new theological voices, hence womanist theology, black women. Uh, there weren't many places for black women to do work uh, in the early 70s, et cetera, when I went to Union. He provided us that opportunity. And so his legacy looms large because he has inspired a generation of black and other liberation theologians. And uh, Dr. Serene Jones, you're the, the president of Union Theological. His impact on the sem uh, on Union itself and on, on Christian theology generally. Well, his impact on Union is inestimable. Imagine a single powerful voice showing up in classrooms and preaching in the pulpit for 50 years. 50 years in one place. Um, he won't walk our halls anymore. Um, his voice won't be heard in our classrooms. And it wasn't just any voice. Uh, it was the voice of a man whose deep faith was manifest in this forceful, fierce commitment to the liberation of black people and the liberation of people everywhere. Uh, it, that can't be replicated. But as Dr. Douglas said, uh, for Jim, the best replication was for new generations of students to find that commitment to speaking on behalf and with and in solidarity beside the oppressed of the world in the face of grave injustice. And the impact that he'd had on Christian theology in general well, in the United States? <laughs> so, his impact on Christian theology, I read Jim Cohn in 1981 in my first class in seminary just a few years ago. It was the first theological book I read in seminary, and here I was reading a man who, in a sense, sent a torpedo right at the heart of the whiteness of Christian theology as it had been manifest in churches in the United States since the beginning. 
and supported chattel slavery and Jim Crow, and he said no. He said, God is not white. God is not even no color. God is black. And Jesus is black. And Jesus seeks the empowerment of black people and that the masters need to walk away. I wanted to go for a minute um, to Jim Cohn in his own words. Uh, Reverend Dr. Cohn's 2011 book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he called the crucifixion of Jesus a first-century lynching. Um, I want to turn to Dr. James Cohn being interviewed by Bill Moyers in 2007. The lynching tree interprets the cross. It keeps the cross out of the hands of those who are dominant. Nobody who is lynching anybody can understand the cross. That's why it's so important to place the cross and the lynching tree together. Because the cross, uh, the crucifixion, was analogous to a first-century lynching. In fact, biblical scholars, when they want to describe what was happening to Jesus, many of them said it was a lynching. And all I want to suggest is, if American Christians say they want to identify with that cross, they have to see the cross as a lynching. Anytime your empathy, your solidarity is with the little people, you're with the cross. If you identify with the lynchers, then no, you can't understand what's happening. That, in, in, in the sense of resistance, what resistance means for helpless people, power in the powerless is not something that we are accustomed to listening to. And understand. It's not a part of our historical experience. America always wants to think it's going to win everything. Well, black people have a history in which we didn't win. We did not win. See, our resistance is a resistance against the odds. That's why we can understand the cross. James Cone, father of black liberation theology, 1939 2018. James Cone was a small man, as in short in stature, but he was great in mind as a theologian and scholar. And after the emergence of the black freedom movement during the 1960s, he shocked the world with his seminal work, Black Theology, where he wrote, God is black. Professor Cone wasn't the first to say that, for decades before he did so, scholar Arthur Huff Fawcett wrote, Black Gods of the Metropolis, published originally in 1944, detailing black religious movements in black ghettos in the North. Professor Cohn's work, enlightened by the black freedom movement, led him to write, God is black. There is no place in black theology for a colorless God in a society where human beings suffer precisely because of their color. The blackness of God means that God has made the oppressed condition God's own condition. James Howe Cohn, author of Black Theology of Liberation. Cohn's ideas came to fruition in black Christian nationalist communities across America who saw the divine at work in the black freedom movement. Cohn's brilliance was matched by his boldness and his writing was both liberating and revelatory. In 1991, Cohn published 
Malcolm and Martin in America, which examined the ideas of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and their impacts on America. In writing of these two spiritual leaders and their respective ways of leadership, Cohn wrote, anger and humor are like the left and right arm. They complement each other. Anger empowers the poor to declare their uncompromising opposition to oppression. And humor prevents them from being consumed by their fury. James Cone, Malcolm and Martin in America. James H. Cone, born in Fordyce, Arkansas, 1939, returns to his ancestors after a shimmering career as a black scholar. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, May 5th, 2018. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in, dial in if you have thoughts commentary on any of the news clips that we just heard. If you have suggestions uh, about replacing white supremacy with justice, the number 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Before we get to the folks who dialed in, a few announcements. First of all, we are listener-supported counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the broadcast is constructive. You can visit my blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. When you hit the blog, PayPal button is in the top right corner. Thanks to all of the folks who have invested Uh, again. I hope the cows has helped listeners, non-white listeners, get an accurate understanding of what white supremacy racism is and how it works. Uh, If you're not into PayPal, you can hit uh, you can support by just nabbing items from my Amazon wish list. Uh, It's linked on my blog right below the PayPal button. Uh, You can go to Amazon.com. It's under Gus T. Renegade. I tweeted it, Facebooked it, all that as well. Uh, Huge. Huge thanks to all the folks who have nabbed items over the past decade, basically. Uh, Many, many thanks. Again, I hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy. A few comments I wanted to also get in. As I was constructing the compensatory call-in, the audio clips that we listened to just now, I had no idea until today, part of the research in compiling what we just heard, I had no idea that uh, R&B crooner R. Kelly did a remix of Kanye West's Flashing Lights. Anybody out there for their Kanye West trivia? This, I guess they were not in the studio at the same time, but uh, R. Kelly went and did this uh, and just added his vocals uh, to Kanye's song. And specifically on the song seemed to 
take time to respond to allegations of his sexual misconduct and possible drug use. Uh, I have no problem admitting I cracked up laughing because uh, I had, did not know that he had done this song and the, cracked up laughing. I howled and I wasted a lot of time. I didn't even have time to waste, but wow, <laughs> um, that R. Kelly is something. That being said, I can even pause if you want a, a moment and Gus T. I actually think R. Kelly may have done quite a bit of these accusations because Gus T. met R. Kelly on my first trip to Chicago. And I was younger at the time. We were with uh, teenage girls, and he spent a lot of time chatting it up with the teenage girls that I was with while I was in Chicago. So based on a few things, including my personal experience meeting R. Kelly, I absolutely think he could have done exactly what he has been accused of doing. And I still think it is a massive act of white supremacy racism. They just go right from Bill Cosby to R. Kelly. And I'm still waiting for somebody, all of these whites that I've seen, white men being accused and all this rubbish with me too. I haven't seen any convictions. My man that they kicked, Kevin Spacey, they kicked him off a house of cards. Where are the handcuffs? Wasn't he raping underage too and everything? I didn't see him go to court. They just kicked him off the show. He's got all his money and is chilling. If he never did another film, he is straight. I haven't seen that with Bill Cosby, R. Kelly. Very different standard. Maybe I'm just ignorant. Anyway, that DNA segment I thought was extraordinarily important. Extraordinarily. I have never uh, been an advocate, supporter, uh, have never encouraged anyone to support in any of the DNA stuff. And I think they've been so slick and sophisticated. They've had all these shows, uh, Dr. Skip Lewis Gates, cowbell, doing all that DNA stuff and having everybody come on. Oh, yeah, this is so great. I wouldn't encourage you to participate in any of that. And if you need a book, Dorothy Roberts, I'm a huge fan of her work. She's been on the program three times. The third time she was here, we discussed her book, Fatal Invention, where she talks about that exactly. And even targeting of black people with that DNA rubbish. Oh, you enslaved Negroes. We beat you down and you don't know who your great grandfather is. Come on and give us give us a few dollars. Give us a few nickels and uh, we'll do your DNA test and then sell your data to whomever and then we'll just go through sell our data and say oh yeah we'll just connect all of our crimes go through and find all the negras who submitted their dna and boop we clear all the crimes that we got that uh cases haven't been closed boop we take care of all that right now super important segment i thought the piece on the dc scholars these black females black teenage girls where they were in the nasa competition that segment specifically where they talked about haters. They didn't use the term racists. That's what these people would be who said, oh no, these niggers trying to be scientists and make clean water. We don't want to support that. Get them out of here. Right, let's go on the other. Not terrorists, not racists, haters. I thought that was extraordinarily sloppy journalism because if they, if these had been some white gay students, I don't think it would have been haters. It would have been bullies. They would have had substantially different language, even the slang of haters. That's not what I'm talking about. And the fact that this was a NASA. I thought NASA was a federal program. Maybe I'm ignorant again. I thought that was a federal program. Why isn't this being pursued more seriously? And particularly if these quote unquote haters 
I don't I didn't understand from the report if they were actually hacking into the system to try to disrupt the voting process or if it was just they were doing whatever slanderous uh, abuse online. I didn't understand it fully. But I mean, if there was a hacking attempt uh, to disrupt the computer process of what was happening with the voting, why isn't this being pursued? Why aren't they being prosecuted? System of racism, white supremacy. The segment about the black female in California where they were going to uh, this race soldier, 80 year old race soldier. He was going to the opera and he got upset because a black female took his parking space and commenced to violently attack her. Uh, I was almost a little reluctant because I re- that's that's the way that they like to portray white supremacy racism that we just have to wait about five minutes for him to die and this problem will be solved. We just got to get we just got to get him out of here. If we can get him and Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump, we can just hang on until they die. Everything will be all right. And nothing could be further from the truth. But the public space aspect of that. I just talked about my situation in the yoga class. Uh, it wasn't advertised with as much notice so some people didn't get to hear it live but it's in the archives i just talked about my situation being kicked in the head by a white woman race soldier uh at yoga class a few days back and i just i said during that broadcast you know it's really important in terms of us victims of white supremacy being alert mindful because i think there are going to be more of these types of incidents unfortunately and even an 80 year old over something that simple a parking space an 80-year-old with a cane. He's about two steps from, you know, not being on the planet in his current form anymore, and he's ready to battle a black female over a parking space. I mean, that's what we have, and that's why I encouraged, I'm of the opinion, exit. That's one, if they got security, go get security, try to get out of those situations as quick as possible. Again, whites, they rally any of those situations. I talked about in my situation, a random white stranger could see that. I could easily see the situation being, oh my God, he's probably a veteran. He probably served in the Korean War. What are you doing beating up on that? I could easily see uh, see the situation playing out that way. I'm not saying she did anything incorrect. I'm just saying she's a victim. She was totally right to defend herself. I'm just saying that it's very, very easy in the system of racism, white supremacy, and these type of incidents where you didn't have a plan for counterviolence. It is very, very easy. I've said it for years in a matter of seconds even for things to go explosively wrong and not in your favor. That is the system of white supremacy. And I can even weave right back in. All we talk about now is yoga give you two yoga stories and I can pause and pivot back to my wish list. Thanks to the listeners for supporting my yoga practice. I have a great yoga mat and I have great yoga blocks. I had them on my wish list and got them immediately and have been using them daily. I used them twice today. I took two classes. I was at class earlier. I mentioned I have yoga blocks. For people who don't know yoga is they have uh, blocks. You can use them for a variety of things. You can lie on them, use them for support. Lots of things as you practice. They're very helpful. Uh, I have cork yoga blocks uh, for people who do yoga. That's a slight step up, right, on the planet. That's <laughs> not even give a metaphor. That is, uh, these are considered better quality, generally speaking, 
blocks, like they have the foam blocks and other types that, you know, are not as sturdy, won't last as long. Cork blocks generally are considered better quality. I bring my own cork blocks to class. Some studios have cork blocks, but most do not. I bring my own cork blocks to class. That stands out. I'm in class. Well, I just finished class. I'm going upstairs carrying my yoga mat and my uh, cork yoga blocks. If anybody takes yoga, you'd recognize them immediately. Like, oh, okay, gotcha. This nigger's stepping up. He's got cork blocks. I'm going up the uh, stairs to the locker room, and I'm coming around the corner. White woman comes out, and her eyes are enormous. <laughs> um, pupils dilate, and she's, oh my gosh, you can see that she's clearly startled. And she says, uh, "I thought you were carrying bricks." It's like, oh my God. And I'm looking at her like, in my mind, I'm just processing like, bricks? Really? Why would I be walking through a yoga studio with bricks? She calms herself. Oh, oh, those are yoga blocks. Yes, I got it. Oh, okay. And then she goes on. I didn't say anything. I was just, she didn't ask a question. She just was startled. Oof, nigra with a brick. Oh, yoga block. And then she kept walking. As I continued, I thought, wow. <laughs> Again, being in these public spaces, uh, I thought, wow, that'll be the headline. Menacing Negro, because I did wear my shirt, my counter-racist T-shirt, please respect me like a white person. Uh, that'll be the headline in the newspaper. Uh, Menacing Negro with militant radio broadcast gunned down at yoga studio. Threatening white patrons with brick Thought he had a weapon. Turned out to just be a yoga block. What was the nigger doing with a cork yoga block anyway? I think this was the same nigger that was out menacing neighbors with a toothbrush about a year ago. I was thinking in my mind that is what's going to be the headline for having cork yoga blocks at class. Anyway, again, be, uh, just be cautious in public spaces. Things can get bad quickly. If you're a black person, you're about five seconds from being accused of something anyway. So just be mindful. That's unfortunate that we have to exist this way, but that is the system of white supremacy, racism. Even one more public space story. This was not yoga. This was <laughs> just one a random one. I was just trying to cross the street, literally, right in front of my residence, just trying to cross the street. Beautiful day. Didn't have a program. In fact, I was trying to be a Seattle hipster. I told you before, my temporary flood residents still hanging out with no end date in sight. Uh, I'm hanging out. They say, hey, we don't want to hear you moping and complaining about being a flood victim. Take advantage. You're in a nice spot. The insurance people put you in a nice location. Go enjoy. You're you know, next to about 8 billion grocery stores and all these other amenities. Take advantage. Have fun. So I say, okay, it's warming now. Nice weather. Uh, there are about five parks within a like 10 block radius of my residence. Might even be smaller radius than that. Five park, at least five parks that I know of. I say I'll take a stroll and visit some of the parks. I just try to cross the street and this street I've crossed it <laughs> dozens and dozens of times. People cross the street all. This is a residential area. Be very specific. There's a hospital yards from my residence. There are multiple schools yards from my residence. Uh, stop. This is a residential area. This is not put your foot on the gas and gun through. Uh, People cross this at the intersection here all the time, and generally the response is cars stop 
and allow pedestrians to cross. I've said before, Seattle is a very walker-friendly city. I'm trying to cross the street. The first car does stop. The second car, white woman, suspected race soldier, she does not stop. She slows and looks at me with an attitude as though, why are you crossing the street, nigga? I should run you down. And I'm looking at her like, what in the world? Like, I'm just trying to cross the street. She gives me a nasty look. Uh, drives around me as opposed to stopping and speeds off as it looks like she's saying, probably cursing me in her vehicle. I'm stunned, at being victimized, terrorized. I turn, the woman behind me looks like, yeah, nigga, move. And she just uh, tries off. She doesn't say nigga, but she just looks angry and tries off. And I'm like, wow, crossing the street? Did I do something wrong crossing the street? Like, woo, just trying to go out to enjoy a little sunshine in the park. Huge reason why I'm curmudgeon, misanthrope. I don't go out. I don't hang out. Let me just see if I can get to my yoga class and not be terrorized, molested, and get back safely. That is about as much as I'm looking to do. I get safely across the street. I'm still traumatized from all this. I take about 10 steps. And I'm just like, this is the system of white supremacy. For I assume this is not just Gus's experience, that this is black people all over the world. They have studies on this, where black people, it takes them longer to cross the street. Racists are nasty and don't want to stop. <laughs> I assume this is black people's experience worldwide. I take 10 steps. There's a white woman, suspected racist. She has uh, grocery bags. We'll say she's carrying what looks like maybe three grocery bags in each hand. A random racist stranger. This white guy doesn't know her. Stops in the middle of the road. It's, oh, ma'am, do you need any help? She said, oh, no, 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 I got it. <laughs> I can't even get across the street and you have random strangers. They are willing to stop and just help out. I cannot bear to see a white woman suffer. She takes five steps and her white whatever, husband, brother, father, whatever, race soldier companion, comes over, swoops in, grabs the groceries, they go out system of white supremacy make it plain uh, in about 30 seconds you had better hope and pray whites allow you to cross the street while they are looking to help and be great citizens and help out any random white stranger at all no inconvenience no problem don't want to see a fellow member of the race suffer last thing i will get in uh metaphors this broadcast, I ask specifically about those metaphors, the tacky NPR Rachel Martin in that segment about R. Kelly. The meta, what's that? What's that metaphor about? This is a. I, <laughs> I was furious when when Ivy talks about being furious. I wasn't angry like, oh, I'm gonna shut it off. But wow, I cannot believe the audacity of a white woman to act like, oh, I don't know what all this lynching is about. I'll have to get a black person to explain it. For me, no, to say, oh, well, I'm just doing my job as a journalist and we brought him here as the quote-unquote expert. Absolutely not. Any format where a white person is talking where they get to pretend that they're ignorant and they don't know about the history of lynching and why a black person, Bill Cosby, Clarence Thomas, R. Kelly, anybody you want to insert name, anybody would have questions about being accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, and if you need additional literature, Picking Cotton, I've talked about that book many times over the year, written by uh, Matthew Cotton, who was falsely convicted of rape, later exonerated after he spent a decade in prison unjustly, over a decade, actually, uh, unjustly. 
was exonerated and then turned around and wrote a book with his false, uh, the white woman who falsely identified him uh, and had him in prison for so long. They wrote a book together. That's a great one. Uh, Dr. Curry has talked about this on the program before uh, and cited excellent research about the numbers of black males who are falsely uh, convicted for rape and all the time that they spend in greater uh, confinement. Vox did a great report where they said, uh, judging from exonerations, a black prisoner serving time for sexual assault is three and a half times more likely to be innocent than a white sexual assault convict. The major cause for this huge racial disparity appears to be the high danger of mistaken eyewitness identification by white victims in violent crimes with black assailants. Uh, and I would just say racism, white supremacy, but Lots of literature. We've talked about that before, and I just thought that was really tight. And then they had the black male speaker in that NPR segment on R. Kelly. He came back and says, yeah, when they make this accusation, Bill Cosby's attorney or his wife, when they say that this is some sort of high tech lynching, it muddies everything. They come back and in, they in, they interrogate the one metaphor and then come back and give another metaphor that, in my opinion, reinforces the system of white supremacy. It muddies everything. Again, anything that is associating darkness, blackness with something bad, something vile, something incorrect with a lack of understanding because they say niggers don't know anything. Muddied, darkened. We don't understand. Now we don't have clarity about what's happening with these cases. The reason we don't have clarity is the system of racism, white supremacy. Make it plain. No metaphors for the broadcast if we could be explicit with what we want to say. Racists have done a great job spreading confusion just like that. With metaphors, they do this on a regular basis. Also, they frequently will compare two entities and say these are identical, exact same thing. And often that's not the case at all. We victims, we've been exposed to this conduct for centuries. And many of us, Gus T included, we are still learning. Sometimes we have not come to conclusions on specific topics, and so we don't have logic to articulate our views. Sometimes we'll substitute a metaphor in its place, and often it makes things way worse. It adds confusion. If we could just be explicit, direct, and take a moment to think about what it is we want to say so that we are not just inserting a metaphor. I will prompt about that. Thank you kindly. If we could take five minutes to share whatever thoughts, observations you have, that would be great. That'll give everyone a chance to speak at least once. Uh, once everyone's spoken one time, we should have uh, time for uh, folks to make additional comments or questions. Uh, if you are in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, that would be super appreciated. Uh, we do not need to hear all of the random sound ambiance that you have if you have the tv on or other people in the environment talking just make your commentary and then if you can mute your line that would preserve the quality of the broadcast and we won't have to fight over any distortion much obliged uh with that we'll go ahead and get to the folks who dialed in first few folks number again six four one seven one five three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open proceed can i be heard may i be heard oh mm, i'll yeah, wait go you ahead. first i'll wait mm. okay thank you emmy um 
this is read in Ohio. I actually don't have that much commentary um, today, but I definitely wanted to um, make a comment about the R. Kelly um, segment, at least, uh, or starting off. I definitely feel like, um, and I hope this is not a metaphor, but it seems like Black people, and I know I definitely wasn't prepared, so I'm you know, definitely one of the first ones to say, you know, I wasn't prepared, but I didn't, I never thought of white women using the me too and the times up and all this other nonsense, this takeover that they have um, formulated to, you know, first accuse white men, but then to um, make sure that they prosecute black males, which I don't, I don't know. It's, it's definitely just disgusting to me if nothing else, but um, I understand, like, I, I've never met R. Kelly, so I don't have a comment on whether, you know, he has done some of the crimes or not, but when they spoke about the whole sex cult, it made me think about the racist who just recently died, um, the Hugh Hefner. I felt like, you know, with the Playboy Mansion, that seemed like that was a highly publicized sex cult. And so I, I'm not understanding why, you know, what the whole sex cult has to do with it. Um, I, I, I agree with the segment about exercising helps depression. I know I've, I've suffered from depression since I was probably about six years old. So um, I know when I started to not only just try to focus more on racism, learning how to counter racism, white supremacy, but also exercising, um, I know it, it has definitely helped. I, and I, I went through different um, types of medications. That was the main thing that doctors want to prescribe, either speak to someone or and or take medication, but not necessarily exercise. The only time that exercise would even come up is, oh, well, now you're overweight. You need to exercise to lose the weight, but not to help with, with the depression. And I guess there was one other thing that I, I feel like I was was going to say something about how it, it kind of, I don't, I don't want to say I get like as angry as Ivy, but it does kind of upset me how, you know, everything, you know, racism of, of Black people are being um, oppressed through racism. It's it's not quite racism, it's stupid, but with white women and rape, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's comparable to terrorism. So I'm definitely going to make sure if I get the opportunity to ask white women or if this subject comes up, to make sure that it is known that, you know, rape is not, you can't just, rape is not worse than racism. And I'll meet my line. Thank you for allowing me to share. Yes, ma'am. Greatest rapists on the planet. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. Emmy, thank you for your patience. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. Greetings beautiful people. The, I really wanted to comment really on the exercise clip just because I have come to the conclusion that exercise is the thing that we can actually do that is constructive in every way, shape, and form that will help us to actually become more codified. I know that, you know, of course, practice our code, develop a code actually. First, learn about it, then develop your own code, then practice your your code and keep, you know, just uh, reformulating your code and working on your code and building your code so that you can just be a really, truly codified person. However, some people kind of do struggle with the way uh, the clip had mentioned with getting started. And I think one of the things that 
we don't talk about a lot, and I'm not necessarily saying on the cows, but just in general conversation, is the benefit of structure and what structure can do to help individuals um, keep a grasp on reality and actually attain uh, something in the future, whether it's a goal or even project themselves into the future, like think into the future because we have a framework with which to operate. And if something traumatic happens or there's a stressful event, we're able to kind of get back to where we need to be if we have a structure. But when we don't have a structure or we have a maladaptive structure um, that might involve, you know, alcohol or drug use or whatever, it becomes much harder to heal and bounce back or to, to come back. So when you have a exercise regimen, um, whatever it is, even when you have that stressor or that traumatic event, and you, this is now your habit, 21 days, they say. I go with the 21 days, but the internet might tell you a bunch of other days, how long it takes to develop a new habit. But I go with the 21. Um, anyway, and then once you have that habit, even if you have that traumatic experience or stressor, then you know, uh, you can maybe skip a couple of days, but by the third, fourth, fifth day, your body actually begins to say, hey, remember we had that thing going that I really, really liked, so can we get back to it? And that can actually help. Um, and I think that's how it helps. And it also helps by establishing a structure. So then you do something early in the morning or you have a certain time that you do it. Then you begin to have a different relationship with time. Having a different relationship with time makes you manage your time better, become more organized. Then you start seeing the benefits. Then you want to eat better. Then when you feel better, you don't do things that you don't feel good. And it's just, a, it, it has a cascading effect. Um, and so I maintain, and I have come to the conclusion that if you don't know how to even begin anything, like even if it's a goal that has nothing to do with racism, white supremacy, exercise. It will clear your mind. The answers can come. Sometimes you can get into a zone and then you can just like the idea will come or take this step. You meet new people if you're into that. I'm not really into meeting people where I work out just because I like that to be a personal thing. But if, you know, you might want to meet people, you might meet people where you work out um, or whatever it is that you do. So anyway, not to mention any of the positive cellular effects, which I won't even really get into. Um, and so like they didn't talk about it in the clip, but I guess I just have to like your cells, like individually really like it when you work out, like it just, it's just good all the way. I cannot stress it enough that like work out and it's hard at first, but just get with it, stick with it and just do it. And if you're not really sure, I think one thing, like if you don't have a gym membership, I don't advocate spending your money wherever, but get you some type of fitness tracker only because it helps you get your heart rate to manage, you know, track your heart rate. And that is very important because you do want to be in a cardio space for at least 30 to 45 minutes, at least, they say it's three to five times a week. I say seven days a week, maybe six, if you had like one day where you just couldn't make it. Um, that's it. Just please work out. I think it will solve so many problems. Like we, we should just be known as people who work out and who are fit and healthy and just solve problems all the time. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that I was listening to the clips and I just kept hearing boondocks for like so many of the clips. I was like, this would have been a great time. Uncle Ruckus could have been played once. Rally with the R. Kelly thing could have been played once. Um, anyway, I don't know if you all watch boondocks, but I thought it would have been funny and I kind of heard it. So um, the other thing I wanted to comment on was 
I might be kind of forgetting. So I got so caught up on the exercise thing. Just ex- Oh, here it is. Here it is. I don't remember where I heard it. I think it was somewhere on one of the broadcasts. Unfortunately, I've kind of not been as present as I want to be just because my time is a little thin right now. But I heard someone say something about school and like it not being maybe the wisest choice because you take on a mountain load of debt and all that. And I'm not saying that that's not true. The only thing I wanted to say about schooling is there are young people who are about to enter college or are in college now that or who are debating whether or not to go to college that if you do math and science with a very specific goal at the end if it's hard it's supposed to be hard and just make use of all the resources but become one of those things where you get a certificate in the end because that is technically a trade too dentistry is a trade pharmacy is a trade i work as a tech i've done it for almost like 10 12 years it's technically like a trade like i have a certification for it so even though you do for instance i know people who come from different backgrounds are like have no money essentially went and became one of these like you know trades whether it was like a pharmacist or a doctor or whatever and even though they had the mountain of debt they've already been able to take care of it like real life tangible people that i talk to on a regular basis so i would say that no debt is not constructive but if you are smart you can work it and and get to another level where you can make moves or you can do things financially that you wouldn't be able to do if you only had a like a trade like you know cars or pharmacy tech or something like that like don't limit yourself and don't be afraid white people and other people from like the rest of the world come here do the same thing they take on that mountain they work it out and next thing you know they make six figures coming out and they're able to take care of it so of course you know, do your research, but just don't go and do what I did and get like a bachelor's in African-American studies or gender, sexuality, women's studies and religious studies. That's what my first one is. That's a huge mistake. Don't do that. Don't do arts. Don't do philosophy, psychology, all that stuff. Math and science where you get a job at the end. And that's what I wanted to say. So thank you all for listening. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, everyone. Uh, as the uh, other callers and yourself have, have expressed uh, exercising, quote unquote, working out uh, is a uh, very constructive uh, activity. Uh, It's probably, uh, uh, I would consider it to be a necessity. Uh, And uh, my version of working out is uh, cardio on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, uh, lifting uh, weights. And uh, uh, being that I probably am not going to uh, be coaching this year, uh, primarily because I uh, take on one-fifth of a part of taking care of our mother, uh, 90 years old. Uh, She is under the condition of what is called dementia. Uh, so it uh, kind of like warrants uh, someone to be there uh, for her 
uh, almost on a 24-hour basis. And uh, family-wise, we uh, actually hired a uh, person to uh, assist us during the daytime, uh, non-white black female. <laughs> Emphasize that. Uh, and uh, but working out is is very is very important. Uh, it kind of like uh, uh, gives me well. Other than you know, for health reasons, I, I can see it, it. It also builds your confidence. Can build your confidence, uh, uh, you know, amongst other things. Uh, DCS, quote unquote, mentoring program. Another session a day from eight thirty to uh, around four o'clock. Uh, the feature of the program today of the session today was the uh, documentary on on uh Emmett Till, Emmett Lewis Till. Uh the uh young fellows uh they gave it their undivided attention uh, because of this of the association that this person who was brutally murdered was fourteen years old. Of course it was asked how many of you guys in here are fourteen years old and there are several uh 14 year old uh, boys who were in the uh, group. Uh, and, uh, you know, things went well today. Another uh, progressive day as far as uh, dealing with younger black males. Most of them uh, who do not have a quote unquote adult black male uh, in the same uh living conditions with them i would say out of uh 35 30 35 only two raised their hands when asked that question so uh i wouldn't necessarily call it mentoring but it's not my program but nevertheless uh it is a necessity that uh, uh older more experienced males should spend some time around uh, the younger uh, black males. Thank you. Was that Keith uh, Beauchamp's documentary, The Untold Story of Emmett Lewis Till? Uh, I'm not sure on who put this one together, uh, but it it, it kind of went along the way of, of course, uh, uh, the great Mrs. Mamie uh, Till she was uh, she was in it. Um, just about all of the central figures was in it, including that no good white woman mm. uh, that is still somewhere wandering around. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and if I just can't, I, that's a good question, but I don't, I do not know the answer right now. As far as that concerned, it, it was actually, I, I actually saw it myself uh, years ago. And when it came on, it came, it came on, uh, Ken Burns, the one that was done by Ken Burns. I think it was the one done by Ken Burns. Hmm. Okay. I think because he had, he had the same opening to his documentaries and it had that thing where it showed the, the quote unquote American flag and, 
and a melody, some kind of melody. I just can't think of how it sounds. That that is the beginning of his uh, documentaries. So I, I suspect it's Ken Burns. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if Ken Burns has done a documentary on Emmett Till, but okay. I could be I'm wrong. <laughs> I will I be wrong. I will investigate. I was thinking it might be Mr. Beauchamp just because he's been on the program and uh, he did do a document. Uh-huh. I think that's it's pretty popular. But anyway, uh, either way, excellent work. I'm glad to hear uh, that you and Mr. Clark are continuing the effort. And exactly as you stated, it is uh, extremely important, highly beneficial for everyone involved uh, when older black males yeah. are having time and talking about construct. Particularly, you get to talk directly and honestly about white supremacy racism. I mean, woohoo! Could not get best thing in the uh, in well, short of replacing white supremacy with justice. That is spectacular. So, uh, high commendation, uh, retired firefighter Mr. Clark was also on the program as well last year, uh, and all the other folks who participated. That is excellent. Keep up the uh, keep up that great work. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Feel free. Hello, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Uh, the only comment I wanted to make, I hope the retired firefighter uh, mom do well. That's all. I second that. I second that. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Hey, this is a Black Metal Engineer calling. Just wanted to comment on some things and some uh, observations I've seen over the week. Uh, I listened to the compensatory call-in, I believe, last week, and there was some debate about whether or not the Earth is flat or round. I believe the Earth is round. And I say this based on stuff I've studied in school and just books I know. Um, There's a book called African Cultural Astronomy. Um, If you are on the fence about the flat around earth you should read that book it goes into it goes in depth about how our whole time system the 60 seconds i mean the second the hour the year that all comes straight out of africa um the whole calendar system literally comes out of africa specifically kenya then it was advanced uh thousands of years later when they went to egypt um, so that's something that if you're skeptical, you can read that. It was this, the book was made by a South African man, black man. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's a good res- uh, resource. Um, I had an incident at work where we went to a Caribbean restaurant, Jamaican restaurant, and my white coworkers were making a lot of snide remarks about Caribbean food. They were off, um, like, you know, they have goat and oxtail and, uh, they were making remarks about how it would be sick if they ate goat or oxtail or um, they don't know if the food will be cooked right. And I just, I just found that whole conversation interesting because, you know, these are the whites that will go and hunt and kill deer, raccoon, snake, elk. I remember we went on a trip last year uh, for work and they were offering elk jerky. 
and my white coworkers ate that. And I, you know, I, I'm of the mind that elk, that's not a domesticated animal. Oh, I probably shouldn't be eating that. But goats, domesticated thousands of years. For some reason, whites have an aversion to eating goats, but they'll eat deer and all these other weird animals um, that are wild, for, for lack of better terms. I found that was just an act of racism. Jamaica restaurant, clearly black. Um, and I try to avoid going to lunch with my coworkers, but I have learned that they, whites have valuable information and over food and alcohol is when a lot of that information will be revealed to you. And I've learned a lot about my job, just sitting there, being quiet, listening to whites talk during lunch and when they're drinking. So um, if, if you can be codified, I would um, <clears throat> definitely try to be around your white coworkers when they're drinking and when they are um, engaging in food. Um, and last, I wanted to talk about the debate about trades and liberal arts and STEM degrees. I used to be of the mind that STEM degrees were uh, way more important than liberal arts degrees, but as I progressed over the years, I've realized that a lot of the problems Black people have cannot just be solved through technology and math um, in terms of like certain quote-unquote pathologies that certain groups of Black people might have globally. Um, that's going to take psychologists, social workers, um, people who understand how humans interact with each other, sociologists. Um, Amos Wilson, um, he famously said, and I'm paraphrasing that, you could take a black person, give them the best education, make them the smartest doctor, but if they've been living in America, indoctrinated through white supremacy, everything they do will still benefit the white man. So at some point, the psychology of, you know, our people would have to change to see a benefit from math, science, and technology. And last, and just the last point, if you can look over to Africa and you can see the same issue, there's a massive brain drain. So you have all these educated Africans with PhDs, doctorates, masters. And if you actually look at who's doing a lot of research, you notice there are a lot of Africans doing research in Europe and in America, but that is not benefiting Africa, it's benefiting whites. So until the consciousness changes, um, I could see a situation where we have all these black people who are scientists, doctors, engineers, lawyers, whatever, mathematicians, and everything they do still benefits whites. And I'll end it there. Wow. Appreciate that. Uh, the quote I just wanted to make my edit would be benefits white men and white women uh, somehow. The weeping white women get left out of the equation often. Workplace racism, Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, definitely a great place to be codified. That was phenomenal to hear, uh, to codify your conduct. When you, when you go out and information is easier to obtain over a meal and alcohol, are you sober? Sir, I try to be sober. Always try to be sober. I was at a conference last week. Whites were drinking literally an hour after the conference ended. 
the conference was giving whites alcohol, selling them alcohol. It's ridiculous how much they drink. So yes, I, I try to stay sober at all times when I'm around my coworkers. Thursday is workplace racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. With uh, the commentary, I had such a chuckle. That's I, I have to mute my line, too, because I'm not a quiet listener. I do listen, but I'm not necessarily quiet. But I was uh, chuckling uh, quite loudly when the commentary came up about going to the Caribbean restaurant and they were making their tacky comments about the goat or whatever, whatever was offered on the menu. Uh, and I was remembering... Uh, Mr. Steele, Ken Steele, he's been on, he might be here today. Uh, but before we were talking about workplace racism and he was saying that food might be a subject that, you know, can be discussed where whites won't be racist. And I was, and I think the time that he said that, I think about two or three people called in where there were racist incidents around food. And so now we've heard quite a few of them since then. But every time someone mentions a racist incident involving food, I, remember Mr. Steele's comment. Anyway, uh, I was thinking whites, they, <laughs> anyone who has visited uh, Cynical Africans content, cynicalafrican.com, cynicalafrican.com, the amount of bestiality like and goat raping that goes on and animal raping period. I don't want to hear any comments about, oh, I can't believe these savages are eating. Like they collect. I mean, this is collective. It might not be them individually, but man, the bestiality and goat raping that has gone on. Come on. Come on. I don't want to hear anything about that. Whites just practice racism. Whites are dogs, bark, birds, chirp. White people practice racism, white supremacy. That's just what it is. Other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Uh, uh, Gus, there was a, a article that I came across or that I noticed that it was a uh, a white woman, a uh, suspected white supremacist. She, like, it was a a cell phone video. I don't know if a, a white teenager or a black teenager made this, uh, caught this on video, but it's a white teacher, like, standing on a desk, like, putting her feet or her foot on a black male student, like, standing up, I guess, her explanation was she was trying to wake him up and then you can see on the video like she's kind of like slapping him in the face uh you know like pulling on his locks and you know just putting a foot on him um and uh, apparently this person is as they phrased it went into an early retirement so i guess she has some longevity in the uh, school i couldn't remember what the school name is i think it starts with a p it's over in the Texas area, I believe. Um, that's also uh, in the education area. And I believe that the audio segment where the kid, I think, was autistic and he was being brutalized, attacked with a pen, I think. I think stabbed six times. Like that, like that really was not really appalling, but um, it shows that 
even when uh, a black child has like a certain type of health deficiency that white people in another context have a great respect for. They still practice racism. Uh, even if the, the person is black or the child is black. And these, it was another segment where I think it was, uh, they were talking about the Stephon Clark and the, the private investigator. I think that's the word they use. Um, it seemed like there was some debate, like they didn't want a, a certain person on the panel or who was reporting didn't want to agree with the details that the private investigator had about how the bullets, I guess, were lodged in him or how they were shot. I was trying to get some clarification on that as well. Um, it like it, it may be that it's, it's going against the police officer that, you know, they weren't really in fear. They just wanted to be uh, violent with another black person. So um, they, they, they tend to use that is a, a form of codification to say that I was in fear and teaching the non-white officers to say that I was in fear. And there was another um, case of a um, mistreatment on a black male thing that was down here in Florida who got kicked in the face and another incident that was caught on camera. A lot of uh, racial incidents, racist incidents caught on camera there was a, a person in the restaurant um like he was with his wife and the guy just blatantly you know he just told him directly like i don't like you now this is uh a tenant not a tenant but a, a patron to a business and he said hey you're gonna have to get up you're gonna have to get out like why do i have to get out he said i don't like you like that's that's what the initial reasoning was like what is it? What do you mean you don't like me? Like, uh, and see, this is on camera, but I'm assuming the guy didn't know the white person didn't know. Then he goes to get the black guy. I'm assuming is what they call a bouncer, okay, to come to another black male to say, hey, you know, sometimes, and then he used the metaphor, you got to pick your battles. That that's an incorrect comparison because the the violence is initiated on the victim. A battle is implying that it's two people who, you know, willfully decide to have a competition of some sort. So that's out of place. So that, like that, those metaphors definitely need to be examined. Uh, but the way he wanted to use a, another black person to come to another black person to almost like it's trying to start a conflict. That was an extreme act of racism. And uh, one one last thing I wanted to mention was the uh, I think the if anybody has seen the Martin sitcom uh, Martin Lawrence I, I think they were supposed to do a redo of it and just the anti-blackness like I've been thinking about that with a lot of the TV shows um, I think the reason that they're bringing it back is because of the insults because if you just look on like YouTube. They have like what they call montages of the repeated insults and the toxicity that Martin and Pam, you know, they're insulting and denigrating each other. Uh, and we really have taken enjoyment in that kind of entertainment 
Uh, and I just wanted to mention that. And that's all I have to share. Thank you. Wow. I am wounded. Like, uh, I don't have to watch it. I guess you could put that up there with Black Panther. Uh, Martin, either version, the new one or the old one. But wow, I do not want to see that at all. And I am wounded even knowing that they are going to have that back in some sort of new uh, form. That is just what the world needs in 2018. Martin. Wow. That's great reason the hashtag anti-blackness is used pretty consistently. That is a major, major product. The system of white supremacy mandates anti-blackness. Cannot have black people functioning with a high level of black self-respect. And I think exercise would definitely help with black self-respect. Oh, uh, the the segment about the student with autism, uh, non-white student uh, with autism in Washington, where the white terrorist stabbed him with a pen, called him a nigger and, and such. He does have a white parent. Oh. <laughs> Still a victim of white supremacy, but just <laughs> that, yes, that is critical information, in my opinion. Some people, you know, if you don't agree, that's fine, too. Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, other folks, appreciate that caller in Florida. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary, if we've not heard from you at all, uh, you should definitely go ahead and get your hand up. Please do not wait until the last few moments uh, to decide that you want to speak. Uh, if we've not heard from you at all, uh, go ahead and get a hand up. Star six one. Oh, the number <laughs> six four one seven one five three six four zero and the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate folks we've not heard from can i be heard yes sir greetings mhandisi yes sir greetings to you the host the callers and the listeners um as far as what is that exercising yeah um of course that is extremely important that and also training different martial arts. Jiu-Jitsu is a really uh, good sport. Um, and it's uh, whenever I, I was uh, attacked recently, I, I mentioned before um, being chased by those two white boys um, in uh, the neighboring state. Um, if I had not been physically fit, I would not have been able to uh, get out of that situation. Um, but like I mentioned before, I was in sandals and I was able to get away from them in sandals, but I practiced running even. I practiced running in sandals. Also practiced fighting in sandals. Uh, and then I practiced fighting. I even, I might've broken my hand like a year ago. I'm not really sure, but it has some scar tissue, but you know, I, I fight and I, I, when I practice, I spar with, different uh, people in my city and so like whenever I got into that situation with those white boys where he was calling me a nigger and telling me he was trying to fight me and another white boy came and said that I had a gun well anyway um, I was not like I didn't think that I was going to die I knew that that was a possibility I knew that that was their intention but I was very confident in my ability uh, that first one I would have very easily taken out in a very in a few moves 
I would have killed that person. Uh, however, um, he was not planning to, uh, to just fight me alone. He was planning to have another guy come with a gun. So that changes things up. And also, you know, you just have to be careful or, or, or make decisions on if you're going to, how far you're going to take it. You know, whether, whatever your ability is, how far are you going to take it? What are going to be the repercussions? Are all the neighbors going to help? You know, these white people it makes it a lot different. You're not just fighting. I wouldn't just have to consider fighting that one or those two white people. I had to consider fighting all the people in the cars, all the people in the houses, all their heavy artillery that I know that they have because I've been inside houses. I've been inside their houses. I know every white person has guns and they have several guns. They have heavy artillery. I, I know it. And so, you know, just making those decisions is, is really important. And I'm trying to make the best decisions. But being prepared physically is extremely important. And everything that white people do on this continent is illegal. Everything they do is criminal. They're not supposed to be here. It's an illegal act for them to be here. Thank you. That is uh, spectacular to hear that you also do your practicing in sandals since you said you uh, go out and do your walk sometimes uh, in sandals so that you, uh, if you are attacked and have to be evasive or defend yourself, that you practice doing that in sandals as well. That is spectacular uh, to hear folks that are, are practicing, training, codifying themselves. And absolutely, it is a lot to consider. I think we talked about that before. I know uh, Dealey Fuller Jr. talked about that when he was talking about uh, counterviolence. Uh, that's a big part of his codification. Uh, but saying to have that in exactly what Imhan DC said, uh, to think about that, uh, it could, it likely might not just be one race soldier. It might be this other person in the vehicle. He might have a plan. She might have a plan. Might be random neighbors, whomever. All of these other mites, whites might decide that they want to join as well. Opportunity to terrorize Negra. Yes, I'll join in. I don't even know anyone here, but yes, nigger beating, I'll join in. That could happen. So it's a lot to consider. And I think Mr. Fuller also uh, recommends uh, folks saying, hey, uh, if I'm going to, even if it's self-defense, if I'm engaged in counterviolence, uh, I am prepared to dish out death and I am prepared to die right now, whatever the consequences exactly as uh, Imhan DC said to, to think of all that. That's why I said you just have to be mindful and if, if you can I think it's best try to get out of there. I think you said that too. Practice running in the sandals. Try to get out of there. That's what I was trying to do uh, at the yo uh, yoga studio. Try to get out uh, because it, it just, I've seen so many times where it can go from a very small incident to total terrorism uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, do we have folks that we missed completely? Anyone that we've not heard from at all have commentary? Hello, may I be heard? Uh, yes, yes, we can hear you. Okay, I'm a first-time caller. So All right. by name, Mr. Agnostic. Good to um, hear from you. Nice to hear from you too, as well, Gus and Cal supporters. Uh, my comments for the 
white supremacists that were uh, interfering with Michaela, India, and Bria that are part of the Washington, D.C. NASA thing. I forgot what it's called. But, uh, yeah, I voted for them starting April 27th, and then I voted for them again a few more times. I'm not surprised that their uh, their efforts were uh, messed with by the white supremacists. First time I saw, they had about 71% of the votes. And then the next day that I voted, it was up to 79. That's about all I have to say. I thought that clip was so, I appreciate it. First time caller, thank you so much for uh, dialing in. Hope it's the program, the cows worthy of your time and energy, sir. Uh, but I thought that yes, was, I thought that segment was so important for so many reasons, because uh, one, they'll say, you know, why don't we have black people in the STEM programs? We got all these jobs in the tech industry and you niggers are just too dumb or you won't do it. And they make all these excuses. And it's again, not it's white supremacy racism uh, that's stopping this in a variety of different ways like this. Uh, and I thought it was important as well because they are doing, in my view, they are practicing counter-racism. We need black people in STEM, we'll do it with zest. You're poisoning, they, they didn't say, white terrorists are poisoning our water, so we'll try and come up with a program to have clean water. I mean, wow, Dr. Welsing would be ecstatic, like she would be giving them the highest praise. And they come and terrorize, I mean, to be expected, but man, and they're in the D.C. area, oh, it would be a great opportunity to, if someone there could slip them a copy of the ISIS papers, better understand what happened to you from a fellow scientist. I agree, especially if they uh, plan to make a career out of, career in what they do. Indeed, that would be phenomenal if we have anybody uh, in the well, I guess I was going to say people in the D.C. area, but anybody, I think that would be, man, take advantage if we could get those because, uh, I mean, they're brilliant. Obviously, these are, you know, young geniuses, black geniuses, like to get them a copy of the ISIS papers so that they can better understand what happened to them. I think that would be phenomenal. And I mean, that could pay huge dividends to have them at a young age get a better understanding of what racism, white supremacy is, how it works, and then they can just incorporate that as they proceed in their careers, their life, and as young scientists. See if we can get them a copy of the ISIS papers. I think that would be hugely constructive. Uh, other folks, anybody we missed completely? Anybody that has a hand up that we've not heard from at all? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, this is um, Trace Demania from North Carolina. And um, I just wanted to call because I know um, often when I listen to your program, I often hear you talk about um, how um, uh, if, you, if we've ever heard of any um, um, jokes told, uh, told by uh, racist suspects. So I had the opportunity to overhear a racist joke um, by a racist suspect and um, where I reside at. And so uh, it goes like this. Um, I hear him talking, I guess, on the phone. He's talking about, um, oh, yeah, um, I visited I visited the um, black communities on Facebook, 
and they were really like on a, um an uh, uh an uproar about something and um I guess you know I guess you know how um they go into our on uh, into these uh black communities on Facebook on social media and they tr- basically troll the groups and you know you know just to see what we're doing and I guess a lot of them they what they do they um pose as they're black or what have you and just to keep some things um stirred up so then he says something about um, oh yeah and uh, um, one of them said something about um, calling Mexican Pedro or something like that. And um, I just thought that that was pretty um, telling of this individual um, because, you know, he's like um, a very white, um, identified looking um, Aryan, you might say, um, looking um, Caucasian. And, um, you know, I just find it to be very, real funny. I mean, they would like, you know, how you always say how they just get off on um, making fun of us. And, they, you know, they just laugh and they chuckle it up and they go into our communities and they do things to cause, like, to terrorize us and to see what we're doing and just make fun and joke. I mean, he just thought it was the funniest thing. Oh, yeah, it was really funny, wasn't it? And I just, you know, I just wanted to share that um, with you. And then I'll mute my line. You said, he, what was it about Mexicans Pedro? They were calling Mexicans Pedro? Oh, she might have muted. I was just trying to, because I didn't oh, know. Oh, no, they... no, no. I'm... Can you hear me now? Yes, ma'am. Okay, yeah. He said something about, um, they call it the Mexican Pedro. I guess what they do, they act like they go into the black communities and go into our groups to be nosy and to keep some stuff stirred up. So he thought it was just the funniest thing, you know, and these are um, like, you know, um, college students. And I'm going to tell you because I live in a house with a bunch of them and um, I have been terrorized since I've been here. I mean, I have been put through all kinds of um, um um, 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 you know, really slide and um, um, terroristic little behaviors. And um, because I've been listening to your show, I have been, um, I've gained clarity based on what they, what, what has been happening to me. Because if I, if I hadn't been listening to your show, I might have just brushed it off as something else. But thanks to your show, I'm able to really like identify and say, yeah, you know what, this is exactly what it is. And, um, I don't see, um, as, as you stated, I don't see how anything is going to change. I don't see any, um, any, um, indication that anything is going to get better with the new generation coming up because I'm, I am in the middle and I get a chance to get a chance to see this type of um, behaviors from them on a daily basis and the terroristic, you know, and them just like terrorizing and just having fun doing it. You know, and they 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 just enjoy doing stuff like that. Just to like, oh, let's go over here and let's mess with the little niggers and see what they're doing in their community, or let's just say something or do something, you know, to them just to see, you know, so we can have fun. Oh, 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 oh. and they'll just chuck it up, and it's it's fun to them. So you know, I just wanted to let you know that everything that you've been saying is definitely definitely true. Because I get a chance to go through this uh, terroristic behaviors every, uh, like, you know, I live around it. I'm right in the middle of it. Mm. One of my favorite sayings, thank you so much, Draftomania. What a great handle. Um, but one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, sayings from Mr. Fuller, uh, he would, I was going to say debate, but that's the incorrect term. A caller was, uh, didn't agree with his views on 
white supremacy racism. Surprise. And he said, uh, white people can show you better than I can tell you. And man, oh man, I say that frequently. I, I try. I wish I said it more because <laughs> I just think it's one of the best ever. Uh, you don't have to accept anything that Gusty says. Just go out and observe the whites that are around you on a regular basis, uh, observe them with suspicion and see if they mm-hmm. confirm uh, or see if they inform your understanding of what it means to be white, what racism, white supremacy is, and racist jokes. Wow. <laughs> Anyone else, if you overhear racist joke, please remember it. If you need to write it down and go ahead and call in, I always appreciate it. And I even, I mean, that's significant in my view. If I heard it correctly, that these him or if it's a collective these guys uh racist that they are spending their time i don't know if they're doing it at work or on their free time but yep. if they're going to hang out and pretend to be black people and mm-hmm. either terrorize the folks there or whatever but this is their this is their form of racist humor their I mean, mm-hmm. that to me it all it also harkens uh the what they would call blackening up when you have white people doing blackface, it sounds similar to that uh, in a digital format. Uh, very similar where this uh, whites, Dr. Welsing, I think talked about that as well with her theory of white genetic annihilation. The color envy uh, seems to be manifested in that way as well. I think there's been some literature on that as well, but anywho, uh, anybody else that we missed completely? Anybody that has, has not spoken at all? Do we nab everyone? Making sure we didn't miss anyone. If you are hanging out and think that you might have a comment, go ahead and get your hand up now as opposed to waiting until the end of the broadcast. Uh, that is not, uh, uh, it is not constructive, not helpful. Uh, people wait until the last five minutes to then decide they have a question or a comment. So we, we have not missed anyone. Grant, I will assume that we got everyone. Uh, you should have time if you have a comment that you want to get in. Did anybody else uh, have commentary that they wanted to add, even if you've already spoken? Mm, Dr. Nelson had a theory called for that. Mm. I wish I knew what it was. It, uh, <laughs> didn't sound like she was speaking with us. So- other folks, any other folks had comments that they wanted to make sure they got in? I know one that I wanted to make sure uh, to get in. The people that emailed about the shirts, I think I got almost everybody. Some people uh, wrote in later after I made the announcement that, oh, yes, we do have shirts available and uh, you can drop me an email. I think I got most, almost everybody uh, who emailed me about the T-shirts. I might have missed one or two people. I'm going to try to get them uh, today, but moving forward from this point forward, if you are interested in getting a cow's t-shirt, unless there is an update, and I hope that there is not, uh, you can email cow's shirts and it's capital C O W S cow's shirts at gmail.com. Email address again. Cows shirts, C O W S, all capital letters. Shirts, you can put shirts lowercase. Cows shirts at gmail.com. 
Cows Shirts, C-O-W-S, all capital letters, shirts at gmail.com. If you are interested in a shirt, if you drop an email there, uh, you will get uh, all of the information that you need to get a shirt. I think some folks have already uh, gotten shirts who inquired in the last week or so. You do not need to email Gus T about the shirts at all. Cows Shirts at gmail.com. If you get confused and you need help, I can I can do it up, but I mean... I would prefer, I am not in the t-shirt business, so I would prefer not to be pestered. Cowsshirts at gmail.com. Uh, other folks have commentary that they wanted to get in? Hope people... Oh, yeah. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, uh, another thing I was thinking about, Gus, is the, um, what, was there like a because I heard the, the the Kanye West snippets, like a lot of a lot of good uh, lyrics, like excerpts from like those different songs. Was there a, a particular uh, reason you, you chose those sound clips? Uh, just he was in the news quite a bit this week, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, in fact, if if you want to contrast the situation in Oklahoma, I, don't, I know it came up last week. Uh, where the caller uh, requested time and, and brought it up. I hadn't even heard of it. Uh, last week, the two black males who were killed and dismembered in Oklahoma, I don't think that got very much attention at all last week or even still this week. In fact, the prosecutor in the case came out, even though they arrested uh, quite a few whites, a uh, white mother and uh, her children, and, and quite a few folks got arrested for this. Whites got arrested for this. Uh, but he said, no, I don't think this was racism. Grizzly, though it may be, don't think this was racially motivated. Said that this week uh, in court, the white prosecutor, prosecuting attorney. I don't think that got very much attention at all. Uh, News One and several other folks uh, did reports saying that, hey, where's the coverage? We got all this to say about Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and all these other forms of criminality. What about this? A murder and dismemberment? I mean, wow. And uh, you look at Kanye West, he was everywhere this week where all kinds of people mainstream outlets every five minutes oh my goodness kanye west and we're gonna kill him and interrogate him i mean if anything codification number one i wished that uh more people invoked the code of he said what he said moving forward like i don't have an opinion i don't have a thought i don't have an assessment he said what he said. I think that is precisely why Mr. Fuller created that concept so that we don't, because racists are phenomenal at that sort of thing, at getting us to engage in uh, squabbles and arguments about another what another victim of white supremacy said. And that's exactly what I saw a lot of this week. So I used uh, a lot of uh, different clips of Mr. West. Uh, opining on racism over the years uh, just because that did get a lot of attention this week and I thought listeners might have even brought that up voluntarily but I was not going to invest any time uh, to hear what Don Lemon who's a victim of racism himself I think he devoted time on on CNN like mainstream network with all of the things that happened over this past week mainstream time to talking about what did Kanye West have to say this week I mean the system of white supremacy, phenomenal at distracting us, particularly anti-blackness, anti-blackness. That is mandatory in the system of white supremacy. But that was why I played the Kanye West clips, if you wanted a comprehensive response. 
Yes, sir. Thank you very much because I have noticed that same um, phenomenon this week, like, you know, different victims, whether it's on like, social media or um, other associates that I have around me. They, I noticed that, and this is, of course, because of the, the white supremacists and the media industry. Like, all they have to do is just put out a story centered around um, whether Bill Cosby, then it goes to R. Kelly, Chris Brown. They even had a, a aspect of it this week where they hey, well, Chris Brown, he came out and said something against Kanye, and then you know you have multiple amounts of black people um, posting what Chris Brown said, and then see everybody forgot about the victims who were killed at the Waffle House, or um, uh, Mr. Cosby's wife. He came out; she came out and said things about the uh, the charges that happened, or whatever. And it's just they they are very skilled with how they uh, report the news in a very racist way. Um, but I agree with that. Uh, he said what he said, and definitely try and get that message out there to have us practice codification a lot better. And that's all I have. Appreciate that caller in Florida. Uh, Ivy, did you have commentary that you wanted to share? You should be with us. Uh, yes, I do, but I just need a, I just need a few more moments. Oh, well, right on. While you're talking, we should be here on Tuesday. I'm trying to make sure I have my date. We should be here on Tuesday. A uh, black filmmaker, he just did a documentary uh, on police terrorism, white supremacy, racism. Should be this Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And I think we have our reschedule from this past week. We were supposed to have a white woman on the program, Anna Brown Griswold, uh, to talk about her workshop on uh, <laughs> unpacking whiteness. Uh, with yoga and meditation and white supremacy uh, got rescheduled. Uh, I think she should be here Wednesday. Double check on that. But Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And then again, Wednesday uh, of this coming week. You can check the Facebook page, Black Talk Radio Network for updates. Uh, and <clears throat> you can also drop an email if you get confused. Justice at gmail.com. Do you need more time, uh, Ivy? Probably about 20 more seconds. Oh, for sure. Princess, did you have commentary? Princess, are you just listening or did you have commentary? Oh, hold on. I'm, I just got in the car. Give me about a minute. She, I'm... Needs, <laughs> she needs time to. Everyone needs time to, to gather uh, themselves. Oh, other announcement. It looks like I did not get one dissenting vote on Invisible Man. Uh, if you really didn't want to read it, you should have emailed by now. You got more than 24 hours to lodge your complaint and no one griped. So that is the book that we will be reading. Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. We will be picking up next week. We are in chapter two. It is in my top five. Not that I'm uh, trying to solicit listeners, but wow. Uh, if people that have asked for things to read Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, although it is fiction, 
wow, I think you can learn quite a bit about racism, white supremacy. It also happens to be very well written. It's all about racism, white supremacy. There's police terror, <laughs> Invisible Man, Ralph Ellison, Gusty's Top 5. Uh, this Friday, we just started, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Very excited about continuing with the text. Uh, let's see, we can go in order. Ivy, did you need more time? I'm good now. Thanks so much, Gus. Uh, greetings to you and greetings to all the callers uh, on the line. I'm sorry, Gus, that you um, had to deal with uh, these race soldiers trying to kill you on the road. Um, you were right when you said that, you know, that the, the biggest rapists on the planet are uh, racist. Uh, 57% of uh, people accused of rape are white, 27 are black. 27% um, are black, and I can't remember the last time um, a white person was convicted of uh, of raping black people. I don't consider uh, Daniel Holtz called Claw white, and I think that's why he got the time that he got. And I think that the reason probably why they don't, like, convict white men of, of, of raping us is because, like, uh, they are known for that uh, with slavery, and that has been you know, brought up so many times uh, throughout history, uh, we, a lot of times we revert back to that and we, we, bring, we bring that up a lot. Um, I wanted to ask you, has any other guest besides Dr. Welsing and Mr. Fuller, has anyone been on the program more times than those two? Mm, Pam, probably. Um, I think both of those two have been on. More than two dozen times, Pam, I, I suspect, may have hung out with us more than more than two twenty uh two dozen times. So if if not, she would probably be close. That'd be my guess. Racismws.com, Trojan Horse Publications. Always send great energy out to Pam. I'm still trying to get in touch with her. Okay, yeah. The uh reason I brought that up is because um I appreciate the commentary from um, everyone, uh, but especially uh, the retired firefighter and Mr. Demery Ford, just, you know, older people, and I think even um, Big Victim is, is older because he called me a young person. Um, because, like, older people, like, we need you. Like, we, like, like your your life experience, you have gone through things that we are going to go through, and even a retired firefighter, like, he's retired, and yet he participates in uh, workplace racism to share his wisdom and it's just been so incredibly um just helpful and the reason I bring up Dr. Welding and, and, and Mr. Fuller obviously is for the same reason, but the fact that you've had them on the program so many times, like we need the the wisdom of, of older people like so bad. And so I just wanted to, you know, thank the, the older people for um coming on here and, and, and helping us out and sharing, you know, your incredible wisdom. And uh, that's all I have for now. I'll mute my line. Thanks everyone. Thanks Gus. Appreciate that. Second that one as well. Elders uh, can be very valuable resources. Absolutely. Uh, Princess, did you need more time to get yourself adjusted? Don't hurry on our account. We'll assume she. Need oh, I forgot. I muted her line. How how. Uh, funny of me. Sorry about that. Did you need more time to get yourself adjusted? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Uh, okay. Um, just let me know if there's any background noise because I am driving. 
Um, uh, but good evening to everybody. Uh, I hadn't been able to call because uh, just been going through a lot of stuff, um, uh, a lot of workplace uh, drama, and I just wanted to. I had every intention <laughs> when I called last time to share the update after the tire slashing incident. Uh, is that okay if I can um, share that? Let's hear the update. Okay. Uh, to make a long story short, uh, the girl wind up quitting, although it's not entirely confirmed um, because what everybody had saw that day, they fired two people. One of the uh, one people, one of the one uh, persons that I initially had an issue with uh, using the N word, uh, and I believe they did that as a sacrifice because at the time, before the other person who I suspected slashed my tires, uh, when I had disclosed that she too was uh, joining in and uh, using the N word around uh, the store. Uh, they had to try and find justification in getting rid of her as well. So the other lady uh, that I initially had a complaint with, she was getting ready to retire next month. They went on ahead and fired her, and it looked like they were getting ready to fire this other girl, but she wound up quitting once loss prevention and the DM came in that day. So um, uh, to make matters worse, uh, when I came in and I had a meeting, uh, they pulled me aside abruptly, so I didn't have time to flip on my uh, recorder, but I have since recorded a whole lot of things. Um, we've just been having quite a few meetings. <coughs> um, basically, they had came at me as if I uh, provoked this in individual and that I basically was responsible for my own tires being slashed. Um, no video footage has ever been looked at. Uh, um, the police tried to come by one weekend. They called me uh, to get permission, and I told them, um, you know, that I, I wanted to get the stuff. But uh, apparently uh, the manager that was on duty, another person that I've had an issue with, um, uh, had reported it to the DM. So he had came back to our store and basically uh, they drew up this document on the 13th, but they only just recently presented it to me to sign. And basically it was um, saying that I would not use the N word or the B word or the F word or any other word or any other foul word. And it, it just went into this whole thing. Um, but the problem was, fact that they're equating um, the N-word with the B-word. So I, you know, specifically asked him, well, what's the F-word? And he looked at me crazy, and I was just like, well, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. What is that? I don't, I don't know. And so he spelled it out, and I was like, oh. And I, was, I just basically told him that I would not be at liberty to sign it. And he asked me why, and I told him, I said, because um, – uh, I've been advised by my lawyer. So once I said that, you know, since then on, they've just been doing things to try and retaliate me, retaliate against me uh, as far as 
if something's off, you know, they're trying to pin it on me and this, that, and the other. So um, Monday, um, after um, an incident had happened uh, over the weekend, I just decided that I'm going to go ahead and get the ball rolling. And uh, first, I had already called around um, to speak uh, to a lawyer, but they uh, had told me that I need to first go ahead and file the complaint with the EEOC. So that's where I'm at right now. And um, so ever since I've done that, um, they must have been notified uh, corporate directly because they it's just been a lot of buzz and activity and everybody acting strange. All of a sudden, they're trying to give me accolades, tell me how good of a job I'm doing, and just just buckets and buckets of words. Um, but I'm just trying to take one day at a time. And um, I've spoken uh, to other people. The only reason why I spoke to other coworkers about the document because it's just a, a plain drawn up letter. It's not a corporate letterhead or business letterhead or anything coming from HR. This is something that they have internally drawn up. Um, no one else has been presented with this but me. And um, I'll meet my line. Thank you. Appreciate that, Princess. That is the tackiness of the system of white supremacy, where she told us before about her tires being slashed and there were uh, co-workers saying nigger on the job and giving lame excuses as to why this is acceptable workplace behavior. Uh, and somehow uh, we don't have the video footage from the tire incident uh, to follow up with that uh, to figure out how I've been terrorized on the job and had my private property uh, vandalized, terrorized, don't have the video footage from that strangely. And then they have made up a document, a contract that you're supposed to sign about all of these obscenities. Uh, did did the person, I guess they're no longer working there, the person that was uh, saying nigger and all that, did they have to sign a contract? Do all of the employees have to sign? No. I, see, I'm thinking they only drew with, uh, I did a screenshot when I looked in the Word document, it was created on the 13th. Um, I was in Gainesville uh, covering another store location, and I came back on the 13th, and I immediately walked in the office in loss prevention, and the DM was there. Uh, so they basically wanted to talk to me about um, the fact that I put in my report to corporate that I requested to be transferred. He then tried to say that I apparently some somehow I, I received another cor I, I received a corporate complaint and um, I questioned him on uh, the legitimacy of, of that statement and he tried to backtrack it was like he was just trying to throw something out there to throw me off and um, uh, he was like why is it wherever you go you have a problem and I responded I said you know exactly why I said you transferred me unjustly from my original store when I transferred from New Orleans because you accused me of doing something that I didn't do. And that was the first time that I directly came out in front of him as well as loss prevention, letting him know, uh, you know, where I stood with that. And, um, he was well, wait a minute, just like, with, the, well, with the document, cause we pivoted away from the document portion, uh, oh, I'm sorry. with the document specifically. And that's, still just being in the question mode that's 
what I would have been thinking, uh, train of thought in terms of if that, is everyone going to be required to see this? That's another presentation. If they come with you with some sort of document uh, and we need you to get a signature on this, requesting time. Uh, and I think that's even great, uh, your statement. Just uh, my attorney advised that can have a huge impact as well. We've talked about that uh, many times on the broadcast. Uh, but again, workplace racism, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That might even be a good one uh, to see what Mr. Fuller, Mr. Edward Williams uh, has to say, because it seemed like this could end up being something that's long and uh, protracted uh, and with the vehicle situation as well, just to see what their thoughts are, what might be some tips on on the best way to proceed. Uh, if you want to give either of them a jingle, I'm sure they would be willing to help out with a suggestion or three. Uh, okay. Well, I do. They. It was only uh, presented uh, to me. I've asked everyone. There was one other specific person that was presented with it, and they uh, did sign it, but she gave her clarification on why she signed it because she knew it was retaliation as well. But she said she didn't have any problems personally with it because she already knew what was going on. And this was after she realized that I had already accused. He came to me first. No one else was presented with this. I even asked the person that uh, was working with me tonight, has she presented it? Because I've just been being tight-lipped. But when it came to that, I just wanted to ask uh, to make sure. And she said, no, she's never seen that. No one has talked to her. She didn't even know the extent of what was going on because this whole time she's been in pharmacy. I see. Okay. Well, give us uh, the update if you're able to dial in on workplace racism. And as I said, uh, Mr. Williams, Mr. Fuller, they might have some suggestions to be helpful uh, in dealing with your situation. Uh, let me double check our caller in the DMV area. Yes, ma'am, Princess, good to hear from you. Um, sorry you're having to deal with all that terrorism in the workplace, especially with your vehicle. I mean, that racist man, racist woman racist child uh the caller in the dmv area uh did you have commentary or question or are you just listening might just be listening other folks uh have commentary that they wanted to get in uh before we wrap up Folks satisfied? Everybody got in all the things that they wanted to make sure they brought up? I'm sorry, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Gus, um, I didn't quite hear what she had said about the shirt situation. Um, can you tell me again, if we had already previously sent you an email about um, ordering a shirt, do we need to send uh, a subsequent email to that address that you specified? I think... For about 90% of people, it might even be higher than that. If you sent an email, uh, it, particularly if it was earlier in the week when I first mentioned the T-shirts, if you sent an email then uh, and I responded with uh, the information, you can contact uh, Dr. Trav to get your shirts. If you got that email and you contacted him, you should be good. Uh, if you did not engage in any of that if you're you know just now hearing about it or interested in a shirt all you have to do is email cows shirts at gmail.com and 
you should be able to get the shirt within days. And it's cows, C-O-W-S, all in capital letters, and then shirts at gmail.com. If you send an email to that address, uh, he should be able to hook it up uh, with a T-shirt and all the information, uh, mailing and all that good stuff uh, within a matter of uh, days. Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. For sure. Uh, any other folks? Have, I'll make sure I get my comment in as well, since I mentioned Black Panther earlier. I have concluded, um, thanks to our caller in DMV area, someone we know, uh, was talking about Black Panther and got me a great copy, two great copies of Black Panther, which I still have not watched. Uh, anything that a sizable number of Black people like are really happy about, excited about, is probably going to be something that I'm suspicious of. Uh, the same code that I have for racists, if a huge number of whites are really excited about something and, yeah, this is great, I'm probably going to be really suspicious, if not repulsed about it. I unfortunately have the same stance, I think, about if a sizable number of black people, because in the system of white supremacy, I think Dr. Welsing used to say 90, 95% of black people do not understand what racism, white supremacy is, and how it works. I think that harkens back to the commentary we heard from one of our earlier callers about uh, the late, great Dr. Amos Wilson uh, and his commentary about you can educate a black person uh, and all of their talents will be used to further reinforce the system of white supremacy when that individual does not understand racism. So uh, did... We miss anybody, any any final thoughts folks want to get uh, just to make sure I'm, I'm clear uh, in my thought. If you have a huge number of confused black people that are all excited about whatever it happens to be this time around, it was Black Panther last year. Uh, get out, whatever it happens to be, President Obama, whatever it happens to be. My code is I'm going to step back with suspicion. Perhaps, you know, that should be a part of your code, too. But confusion is lethal. Anything else folks need to get in before we wrap up? That's not a question. Yes, ma'am. What role do you think, if any, uh, counter-violence uh, play? Uh, let me see. Uh, am, I say, am I using a metaphor if I'm saying what role something plays in something? I don't think so. Okay. So, yes. What role, if any, do you think counter-violence plays in replacing white supremacy with justice? If you're comfortable with answering that question, because, you know, the races are listening and, you know, I don't want you to get any more in any more trouble than you're already in. Uh, well, I would begin my response with uh, the words of Mr. Nero. White people kill for fun. That being said, uh, I think it's up to each and every individual victim of white supremacy to decide uh, when and how uh, and, you know, if counterviolence will be a part of their code. Uh, I certainly advocate self-defense. I am not into nonviolence. I do not uh, encourage non-white people, you know, if you're being attacked or beaten to just accept that. Uh, I do say in the system of white supremacy, however, uh, I would try to avoid, uh, if you can, just because as I started my response, white people kill for fun. Uh, I think it is very important to keep that in mind, even in situations where you have to resort to self-defense. The people that we are dealing with enjoy violence. I don't bump into most most of the black people that I know 
they don't kill for fun. They do not engage in violence just for fun. I have unfortunately concluded that whites collectively, they enjoy, they look forward to mistreating black people. That is a very different mentality that you're dealing with, even in self-defense. And particularly, as I said before, it probably is not going to just be one white person that you end up having to deal with if it comes to counterviolence. That, in my view, just makes this a, a situation. If I can avoid this, I want to try. That said, there's counterviolence has uh, many non-white people have invoked counterviolence. I played, I think, a clip this evening. The black female that got attacked at the parking lot in California invoked counterviolence. Many non-white people invoke counterviolence every day. Uh, it's been a part of racism, white supremacy for the duration will continue to be. It's just up to each individual to decide when, where, how, if at all, counterviolence will be a part of their individual code. I'll begin how I started. I do think it's very important to keep in mind white people kill for fun. Did that answer the question? Um, it does somewhat. I'm just trying to understand how we can, you know, solve this problem with, you know, these, these very violent people. I hate to say this, but without getting rid of them because they, they just, you know, that's, that's how they operate like with violence. So it's, it's like, how do you stop, people from terrorizing you? How do you stop terrorists from terrorizing you without, you know, I guess war? So I'm I mean, just war trying is, to figure out how to War is already being waged. I mean, it would just be, you know, <laughs> how would you go about executing that plan if that's what you think needs to be done? How would you do that? I think, you know, that question has come up before. Thus far, no one has an answer for that. Even before you even get to that point, now, how would you identify all of the people that are classified as white? How many oops are you acceptable with when I say oops? Uh, I thought this person was white, but they're not. How many of those are acceptable or does that even matter? Uh, those types of questions would have to be answered conclusively and then how you implement all of that would have to be discussed. But uh, again, <laughs> white people kill for fun. I just don't see that mentality amongst most of the non-white people I see directed at whites. Thank you. Anything else folks wanted to make sure they got in? Yeah, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, guys, one last question. Uh, on that audio segment with the about the uh, young black girls, I believe, was there a question that was asked, um, like, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Or what should be done about this? Did that did that lady ask that question? Well, she, uh, what do you think that question was being posed to the victims in that case? Who was the question being posed to? I believe it was it was directed towards. Was that one of the girls I was speaking about? I guess like helping solve the the water crisis, the right. water issue. Right. Right. Because I'm, I'm wondering if she was asking, was she talking about, was she using the term haters? And she, and you, you're correct. She didn't use the term racist. Like, was she? I guess was she referring to like the racism or like the water issue? Oh, I thought she was talking about the uh, racism issue. Uh, I might need to go back and double double check. I mean, they're both racist issues, I guess. But uh, I thought she was talking about the the trolling 
uh, racism component of it specifically, not the uh, poisoning water component of it. I thought they were talking. Which part did you think she was talking about with that, or did were you just not clear? See, well, I'm thinking I agree with you. I'm thinking there was a racism because that's another that is another uh, pattern that I'm noticing too. Like what some of the interviews, whenever something that's um, happening that's uh, racism, white supremacy, like they tend to ask the people who have been victimized, black people, like, well, uh, what what do you what do you think? Uh, should be done about this problem or, or what, what do you think should happen <laughs> like how should we solve this problem i mean that's like that is like that's that's more racism like would you agree with that that's them practicing racism again i would agree uh one going back to what i just said uh in responding to ivy's question about or what i said before i responded to her question about you have a lot of confused victims uh Whites, they already know we are very confused. So you're going to a confused person to ask them what they think should be done. They don't have to do that. Uh, they they could just go and do uh, that. They don't have to do all that questioning and going and ask black people, what do you think about this? What they could just go and do. They could, In fact, they could go and produce justice to be explicit and this would be taken care of. We wouldn't have to ask you anything. The problem would just be solved and, you know, go on and, you know, get back to filtering water or whatever else you're going to do in your young scientific career. And they're talking to children that <laughs> should not be minimized in this case. They're not just talking to victims. They're talking to children. So, yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, that pattern of coming to ask black people. Uh, did we miss anyone else? Anybody else have a final comment they needed to get in before we conclude? Everybody satisfied? I'm glad that I don't uh, call the the opioid so-called opioid crisis. I don't I don't call it that at all. I don't think it's a crisis at all that uh, racists are dying. I call it the dog food epidemic. Just like you know, you say crack epidemic. Crack is not what it is. It's, it's cocaine, but you call it a street name. So here on the street name, call it dog food. The dog food epidemic. That's what it is. And uh, that was it. I'm in my life. I uh. That report, when I hear about that now, I think of the report from, I guess it might have been a month or so back, that was saying that now there's uh, this increase, huge increase in the number of black uh, opioid addicts. Now that's what I think about when I hear that, uh, that, you know, that's typically what happens in the system of white supremacy, especially since some people were saying that they were seeing some evidence that this might be true, at least in some parts uh, of this part of the world, the U.S. Uh, with that, I think we got everybody. Uh, we will call it a broadcast. Uh, again, we should be here on Tuesday. Uh, documentary film, Police Terrorism uh, in this part of the world. If you have guest suggestions, gripes, uh, feel free, drop an email until justice at gmail uh, until justice at gmail.com. Do not email Gus about the t-shirts. Email cows shirts at gmail.com cows c-o-w-s all in capital letters shirts at gmail.com if you are interested in the counter-racist t-shirt please respect me like i am a white person 
that's it. It's Cinco de Mayo. I didn't even know. Uh, it's, you know, on the West Coast, uh, it's been my observation as someone who's lived on West Coast, East Coast in the U.S., uh, Cinco de Mayo, as it's called, is a bigger deal uh, on the West Coast. Uh, there's more time, resources, more talking about that and more parties associated with that, at least my experience. Uh, I was not even thinking until I came out of yoga class and saw lots of whites with sombreros. And then I stopped at the grocery store to get watermelon and they were getting limes, lots and lots and lots uh, of limes. Oh yeah, I'm going to make sure I stay in the house uh, this evening. Whites, alcohol, lethal combination. You don't even have to be with them. They're out on the road and everything else might be a good evening to be in. Certainly a great time to be sober, in my opinion, uh, under the system of white supremacy. I know Dr. Welsing, Dr. Amos Wilson, many of the folks that we revere would strongly endorse, hey, let's take excellent care of our brain computers, our health, so we can think and make great decisions uh, while war is being waged against us to solve this problem, come up with great concepts uh, that can eliminate racist man, racist woman, racist child permanently. Uh, certainly, if you're going to be out and about in a vehicle, buckled up and sober, let's do everything that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. Shouldn't be on your phone either. I feel like I should be saying that as well. I know quite a few non-white people uh, who have been stopped and ticketed repeatedly uh, for driving and texting or being on their phone and stuff. Again, just, you know, let's try to do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. They are looking for opportunities to practice racism, white supremacy against us. Let's be mindful of that as much as we can. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.